Welcome, welcome to the Courageous Pod. It's been a hot minute. Um, with me, I have today Lady V. You there? Yep. Hello. Yes, I, we can hear you loud and clear. Um, and of course, Toby will be joining us shortly. She'll be here in a few minutes. But um, yeah, man, it's been it's been a few weeks since we last talked. Lady V, how's how's everything going on your end? All good. All good. Uh, um, I'm sure you you were happy to to receive the the good news about Roe v. Wade. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, uh, it was it was uh, intense. It was intense, and we'll get yeah. into that later. We'll get into that later. But the last the last I think couple of weeks, I think it was two weeks ago. I think I talked, I I um sent you a message about it. I was trying to I was trying to I was trying to figure out. How did this, how did we end up here? That was really what I was thinking about. Because we had this really, really, we had this, I, I consider it a really good episode where we talked about some, some would consider pretty controversial things, things that don't make any mm-hmm. sense to me, that don't add up to me. Um, and a lot of it is emanating from this woke culture that we have today. And let's just, let's call it what it is. It's, that's what it is. It's this woke culture that seems to have permeated our society. Um, 
and it, it has shown up in different ways. Um, you have the people with the, you know, with the race ideology, the people with the the feminists ideologies, the people with the gender ideologies, the LGBTQ ideologies. Um, and, you know, that's not to say everyone doesn't deserve rights, but we've ended up in a place where it's almost like we're having to dance around some of these people. I'm not saying all of them, but you get what I'm saying, Lady V, where we're having to, yeah. it's almost like they're being infantilized. Like mm-hmm. almost like um, we can't do anything. Like we have to create safe spaces. Safe for, spaces for, for them. Like we can't do anything mm-hmm. to offend them. And it doesn't matter whether what, what our intent is. Um, what matters is whether they are offended by something that we have said or done. That's all. Or whether that they choose to be offended. Or whether they cho- they might also not actually be offended. Whether they choose to be offended. Choose and be it's offended. it has entered our society to the point that people genuinely are getting cancelled. I know people keep wondering oh, who's really getting cancelled. People are. People are scared to talk. People people are being um bullied into silence. People are being bullied into submission in a lot of ways. You still had Jordan Peterson, he still got ca- he still got canceled he off just Twitter. Got banned. Yeah, banned off he Twitter. Just got banned. Mm-hmm. You know, because of some of these people that um that consider themselves to be oppressed. So I was thinking about it a few weeks weeks ago. That how do we end up here? Like, what exactly is the genesis? And I mm. I talked to Lady V about it. I was like, I, I want to I want to have our next podcast. I want to. I really want to try to understand so that I can bring my audience um so that I can bring my our audience along to try to understand where did it all start from and that way if we start seeing signs in other regions of the world maybe we can start pointing it out too mm-hmm. so I started looking into it I started thinking of all the research that I'd done previously I started thinking about all the different podcasts I'd listened to of people that talked about these things and there were there was one there was one main thing that came to mind. There was one main instance that came to mind. It was the Evergreen instance um incident. Uh for those that don't know, Evergreen is a university. It's in around that Washington DC area. Oh, sorry, Washington State area. That's uh you know, I guess you call it the the Pacific West. That area, Sha. Um, one of those universities, very liberal colleges, very liberal college, Evergreen. And I think it had to do with this gentleman called, it's not Eric Weinstein, it's Brett. It's Brett, Brett Weinstein. Eric is his brother. He was a professor there, well-respected professor. Always been a liberal guy. And this happened, I don't know, Lady V, do you know what year it happened? Let me see if I can uh, look it up. I don't remember the year, but it's definitely within the last five, six years, I think. Oh, um, no, no, no. It def- I don't think it was. I don't oh. remember. Yeah, I don't think it was. Oh, yeah, you know, you might be right. It was. Um, Yeah, you're right. It was in 2017. Late 2017. Um, What had happened was something had happened. I don't know if it had to do with one of these police shooting something had happened and on the campus these students rallied uh, both black and white they rallied and they decided to create this day a day for um for white people to stay indoors 
and black people, only black people, to be on campus to come outside. It was supposed to be in like a like a I guess like a protest of some sort. And yeah, or like a day of mourning, or like something. a day of mourning, something. I, I forget what it was, but the point is, they decided that all the white people should not come out, including the white professors, um, mm. and that's what happened. So there was this one white professor that was like, ah, "That doesn't sound that, like why would we? Why would we say people white people can't come out? That doesn't really make any sense." And he got harassed by the students. I mean, a lot of them were triggered. And this was in 20... This is say it was late May 2017. And when this happened, it got so bad. Like, it spiraled out of control to the point that he had to resign from the college. I mean, this is someone that was being told that he couldn't show up to work because in observance to black people. Mm. It doesn't make any and, sense. And you know what, actually, before that particular day i think what they had been doing in the past maybe for a couple of years was like a day when black people or black students black faculty would leave the campus like have a day off yes where they would leave and like come together and talk about their struggles etc yes. and yes. that i mean nobody had, nobody had really complained about it but then that particular year is when they now flipped it and said actually black people stay on campus the white people should like stay indoors or leave campus and that's when the person now had to speak out and was like okay this is going too far and and this is someone that's as liberal as they come Bert weidenstein very very intelligent guy um but it got so bad that he had to resign and he eventually went to congress to testify about something going on in our colleges what i'm trying to get at here is that a lot of the source of what we're seeing today is coming from our colleges and it's coming from people that are graduating from these colleges entering into society and they're taking a lot of these the ideologies um and pretty much you know it's all over the media you know it's it's a lot of these performative things that you see on the media a lot of these um people virtue signaling um mm. you know, trying to make themselves look like oh i care so much about this oppressed class you see it a lot yeah. I, well, how would you I, I, just like a quick question before we go on? How would you define wokeness? Like, that's a what, good question. What would you describe it as? That's a good question. Wokeness is this idea that, um, it's an it's an idea of of being conscious of being like a a different level of conscious to the injustices of society. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of what I I think of as wokeness. It's this idea of like you're awake to what's really happening in society, but it goes mm. in even deeper. It's it's this really sinister, um, sorry, sorry, cynical perception of how society mm -hmm. was constructed and how yeah. it was only constructed for a certain class of people, and it was constructed to keep another class of people oppressed. Mm. that's i think that's where for me because you know th there's some truth to the fact you know there's some truth to some of this wokeness doctrines that they put out there th there's there's sprinkles of truth here and there about how you know certain things happen in the past that disadvantage certain classes of people that's that's for sure true but it's it's a very narrow-minded view yeah 
and it, the, the narrative is very simplified it's it's too simplified and it's too cynical it's it's the assumption mm-hmm. that it, it didn't matter there was the, the everything that we have today was put together just to keep one class of society oppressed it doesn't yeah. really make any sense when you really yeah. when you really you know um scrutinize some of these things with a tooth comb you realize that some of these things don't really add up um and and one of the yeah. biggest grievances you would agree with me that they that they always point to av is slavery you know this is something mm-hmm. that we're reminded of all the time yeah um it's 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 an evil it's something that should never should have happened but it the the context in which they put it is they they make it look like big yes to an extent america is where it, it is today economically because of the slave because of slavery and and how they were able to profit off of slavery to an extent that's very very true to a large extent that's actually very true but there's this cynical view that america and the ideals of america was you know the 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 founding fathers they put this country together just so that they can keep power for the sole purpose of of of, of keeping of oppressing a class and that's not true and and mm-hmm. and that's not true because this same constitution was the same constitution that was referenced by ab- abolitionists yeah to to pretty much to make a case against slavery. to reverse slave exactly to make a case against slavery that that was the brilliance of this document it was like mm-hmm. these truths we hold are evident. Sorry, I don't know the constitution, so let me not <laughs> let me not mess it up. But you, but basically, what they were trying to say was that there's there's just certain all in, men are created equal. There's just right? certain like, rights that we should just it just yeah. makes sense. The, one mm-hmm. of the first things is we're all created equal, and we yeah. realize that oh shoot, you know these people are men like us. And mm-hmm. and that was undone, and it doesn't take away from the evil that was done. But that, but would you agree, Lady Vida? That that's probably like the biggest one of it all, the one that you yeah. we can't seem to ever escape because there are truths to some of the things that they talk about. You know, there are truths to the fact that even after slavery, black people weren't necessarily fully free. You know, they mm. they were still oppressed to an extent. There were still things that came about the Jim Crow era. The um, the lynchings, there's all sorts that happened up until the the 90s, up until mid 90s, yeah. even that yeah. that so kept I, I, black I think, people. I um, think the other thing, yes, go ahead. The the other angle of this is like, um, it's the narrative is made. It makes it look as though slavery is an American invention, it was invented by the founding fathers. So when you remove all context mm-hmm. and all you're looking at is American slavery, then it's easy to see why um, you create this narrative where like whiteness is evil and mm-hmm. black people are like the eternal victims. Yeah. When you when you you ignore the fact that slavery is a very human um, invention, it's happened everywhere. People of the same race have enslaved each other throughout history. Um, you know, but, yeah, but, but you know what they will say to that lady v they'll say eh, but chattel slavery was it was um revolutionized by the americans it was it was no one else was doing chattel slavery which 
I'm not even sure it's true. No, but but chattel slavery has actually been practiced elsewhere. It's not just in the U.S. Yeah. Not just in the U.S. I know, I know. Plus, I mean, I mean, the, the other thing is we also forget that the abolitionists are actually, the abolitionist movement was actually started by Westerners. Yes. So in the in the UK first and yes. then in the US as well. Yes. So it wasn't started by black people. The, the abolitionist movement was started by white people. Yes. And then of course like you had uh freed slaves also being part of the movement. Yeah. But um but yeah, that's when I think of woke, that's what I'm thinking about. It's this idea, is this higher level, this so called higher level of consciousness of knowing that yes. it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you are born black, you are relegated to a being a second class citizen and there's the really nothing class. Mm-hmm. and there's really nothing you can do and even if you come out of your situation it, you, you did it in spite of the oppression that was leveled against you you see what i'm mm-hmm. saying it is a yeah. very defeatist mindset that i find yeah. to be not only and i and i hate using this word but i can't think of any other word it is problematic it mm-hmm. it is is it is ruining people. I also hate people. using the word. <laughs> it is ruining people. It it's ruining yeah. people. It's 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 giving people an out, and and it's not letting people be accountable for some of the things that maybe they're doing that's leaving them in that situation. I think mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate, but again, you know, fast forward to twenty seventeen Evergreen University. This was the first that I really. This was like the, the first that I understood of where some of these things came from, some of these languages that they use. These, you know, where you hear things like internalized racism, and mm. like they have all these, these buzzwords, buzzwords right? that they use. I, and I, I've been here almost twenty years, Lady V. I'm telling you, this wasn't when I was in college. I wasn't hearing people talk like this. It, it, it's very strange. This literally happened within the last decade. And, you know, they start using certain language. Uh, we are um, uh, my oppressor, um, white mm-hmm. supremacy. That's another one that really bothers me too, when they say white supremacy. Because when they say it, it's almost like you're acknowledging another race of people are more supreme to you. It actually bothers me a lot when I, when mm-hmm. I hear that. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you mean by white supremacy? For me to admit that I I'm admitting that I am I am inferior, I am admitting mm-hmm. that these people are somehow superior to me. I I can't accept that. I can I can't even if there was some kind of oppression going on, I, I wouldn't tag that as supremacy. You're saying yeah. that they are they are a supreme class of people, but you see they keep using these words and they, and you know there are other things that they've done too. Have you noticed? They've expanded the definition of racism. Oh, yes. It's no yes. longer the racism that we used to think it was. Mm-hmm. Now racism is um, it's really about uh, what class of, of humans that you fit, fit into. Are you in the oppressed class or are you in the oppressor mm-hmm. class? Are you the oppressor? Because yeah. if, you are, if you are in the oppressed class, then you cannot be racist. Ah, man, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of ruining this because the video that we're going to get into gets really down to the nitty and gritty of a lot of these things. But that's really the basis of it. If you are in the oppressed class, you cannot be racist. Yeah. Therefore, So by default, you yes. are the victim. You are the victim. And then by default, if you're white, mm-hmm. 
you are by nature racist because you are part of the system of yes. racism. Even even just, when you don't even realize, even if you haven't done anything, anything you, exactly, you are like tacitly you you benefited from racism, so that makes you racist. So they kind of changed mm-hmm. the definition, and it's funny because I remember a few years ago having an argument with one of my friends, and this was before I knew of all this woke stuff. She had brought up this new definition of racism that it's about what class you're in and it's about you know and it's about being in an oppressed class of people in a society and i I was like what where did that come from and we went to went to school together we went to college together Mm -hmm. but i guess she took one of those classes back then that Mm -hmm. i wasn't privy to and i'm like no that is not the definition of racism and i remember almost losing my mind I, i kept googling and sending her information this was years ago guess what as of like two years ago, I think it was either at the start of the pandemic or right before, um, one of those dictionaries, they included this new definition of racism in it. Oh, they've changed it. Yes, they included it. Wow. It, it still has the old definition, but they included this Okay, new this definition. was one of the new definitions. Yeah, this is one of the new mm. definitions. It was some girl that had, I, I guess she had been in too many arguments that she had lost, and she wrote a, she wrote a letter to, I think it was Miriam's Dictionary, one of those well, you're kidding yes and they she told them My that goodness. that you know you need to include it and they they changed they included it um okay, but but it's, but it's not all the dictionaries that did did that um mm-hmm. i think it was only one of, i think it might have miriam's miriam's or it was one of them that that definitely they included it so now you go into like a lot of these institutions or even these some government institutions and that's the definition that they're using so, Lady V, would you admit that the fact that the like our governments and institutions and have kind of adopted some of this stuff, you can see why it may be hard for some people not to see otherwise, right? I mean, would you understand yeah. that? Yeah, because uh, if you're, it's like being steeped in something, you you can't see anything else because you're so saturated. It's like everybody around you is saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's being reinforced from the media, being reinforced everywhere you go, the yeah. books you're reading, the people you're spending time with. It's very hard to see that there's a, any other view of the world, to be honest. I'm, I'm like cu- being in an echo chamber. It, it is. I'm curious. Were you ever, did you ever buy into any of this stuff at any given point? Yeah, I did. I mean, I used to be a feminist social justice warrior really and that that's when i was in university and i i was convinced that i was um on the side of the underdog right it's like you're you're convinced that yeah people like people are being oppressed and you're defending you're defending the rights of people being oppressed it's a very it's an intoxicating feeling it is it's like like you get this severe complex yeah it's like a savior yes, complex exactly. that you get. Exactly. So yeah. there's a feeling of virtue. There's a feeling of like, oh, I, I know. It's this idea of wokeness, right? Like you have an elevated consciousness. Like yes. I can see what other people are not seeing. Like mm-hmm. I see the system, you know, like I'm outside the matrix. Everybody else is inside the matrix, that kind yeah. of thing. So, so it's a really intoxicating. So, so how, how, so what, like what was the incident that made you break out of that mindset? Just out of curiosity. I wouldn't say it's any like individual uh, like incident, but I just started to branch out in 
terms of the, the what I was consuming, the literature I was consuming, the podcast I was like listening to, YouTube channels I was watching. There was a particular YouTube channel I, I was watching at some point, one of these like black feminist um, channels yeah. where there's something I heard where I think the, the more time I spent in like progressive circles, the yeah. more and more radical and progressive stuff I was listening to. So I eventually got to the point where what I was listening to, I was just like, okay, this is a bit too radical. So yeah. um, there's something I heard at some point that I was just like, okay, this is not logically consistent. It's not coherent. Because it's like, on the one hand, you're saying, um, I don't need men. Men are like useless. Women can do everything on their own. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, you're also saying, oh, like men need to pay for everything. Um, they need to be like responsible for you. Yeah. You should like rely on them for your for your sustenance. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, I don't know if you you heard of this like term finessing. Yes. So they're, they're like these black feminist circles that they're promoting hatred of men while also promoting like finessing men for their resources. Yeah, and that's and that's and, really gotten big in our music now too. By the way, like taking advantage yeah. of men, like something that's being celebra- um, celebrated. Yeah. Celebrated exactly. So at at that point, something just started to click i'm like "Mm, no this narrative is not is not um adding up and then because of that i decided to kind of branch out and um widen my circle of things i was listening to yeah and in the process i discovered jordan peterson and Mm. um ben shapiro some like conservative commentators changed my life 12 rules of life changed my life man i i yeah it's like what it like he made it so he made it so crisp and so simple and yet he used such so many words but it i got it i understood like i it it, it was it was weird but that, that's a, that's another story but you're right i also kind of went through my phase too i had my woke phase too i i was um in fact i was the wokest of all my friends um and it wasn't it wasn't so much that there wasn't anything that i was particularly listening to i think it was probably just the media that i consumed you know, I was a big mm. news uh, junkie, cable news especially, huge, huge. Um, I used to listen to Keith Olbermann. Like I used to listen to all of them. Like I was, mm-hmm. and I was, I happened to be very into politics too. I was a Democrat. Um, the minute I got into this country, I I registered. I, well, the minute I could register because I didn't initially, I couldn't vote. But the minute I could register, I registered. My dad was always a po- political junkie too, so I I got right into it. I was heavily into politics and i think that was how i kind of got indoctrinated into it to an extent Mm. even though mine was from a political angle but it was as a democrat and it was understanding that i think what really what really kind of hooked me was understanding that or this assumption that republicans uh hated blacks Mm. and that the only party that's looking to save black people are the democrat mm. um and i and i i truly bought into this fully you know i in fact i used i remember back then on my facebook i used to talk about how you know democrats are just trying to undo all the injustices that have happened to black people and i used to talk about how you know you know the same thing about how black people were so oppressed for so many years and that you know their their communities are heavily um um 
policed. Police. Hence, why mm-hmm. they're always getting into they're always getting into trouble with the police. And yeah. you know, I I used to I used to repeat the same lines, man. You never you never yeah. would have thought I used to repeat the same lines, but it was through politics. That was how I got in, into it, and it was very subtle. It didn't happen like overnight. It it was the more I listened to politics and the more ingrained I got into it. And it wasn't until um they cheated Bernie in twenty sixteen. <laughs> I, I was you know and you know Bernie's almost like a he's a quasi socialist. Yeah, he's practically a socialist. Yeah, so and I was, I was, I was deep because I, 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 I started, I started believing to that. Ah, man, this capitalism thing is not going to work. It's only going to keep this. Oh, same, same. I, I was like almost buying into like communist propaganda at yes, some point. Yes, like thinking you know, cap- capitalism is evil. It's exploitative. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Um, it puts people at the bottom of the pyramid. And like I was the kind of person who would say, you know, it's unethical to to be a billionaire. Like if you're wealthy, then yes. there's no ethical way to be wealthy. I remember arguing against my friends one time about the estate tax. I'm like, hell yeah, there should be an estate tax, and I was so in favor of it. And you know, there's nothing. As a society, we've all agreed that we're all gonna pay estate taxes. I have accepted that, but I remember being so, like, I was so incensed by the idea that people wouldn't pay estate taxes when it's mm. it's just their money and they want to pass it down to their children. But the government is forcing yeah. them to pass it on to everyone. Yeah, I was I was quasi socialist, which is why Bernie Sanders appealed to me. I was a big Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders fan, heavily into it. And they cut him they 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 cut him off at the kneecaps um, in the twenty sixteen Democratic um, primaries. Primaries. Um, and it, it you know when. You know, yeah, you're putting so much hope and faith into someone. I, f- I felt mm-hmm. way stronger about Bernie than I did about uh, Obama, and Obama. I was a big Obama fan. So yeah, me too. Me I had too. I had bought into this Bernie like socialist movement, what he was looking to do for the working class, and he had he had some good ideas. Don't get me wrong, but they cut him off at the knees, and I realized that party politics is dirty. I realized mm-hmm. how dirty it was, but that was the start. That was, that was when I stopped giving a shit about, um, democratic orthodoxy. I was like, mm. hmm, okay, I can't mess with these people anymore. What they did, they cheated him. They they mm. cheated. I was, I went to his rallies. These p- places were oh. were packed. I I was there. I have I still have my Bernie shirts up upstairs. These places were packed, and I would turn on the news, and it was Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. Hmm. Silence on Bernie. It was almost like they didn't even want to. They didn't want. They didn't want to acknowledge that this guy had a movement. It wasn't until, as it got closer and closer to the to when they they had to pick their nominee that they they realized okay we have to talk about this Bernie problem because he's not dropping out. He's not I, going away. <laughs> I was so pissed off, but that was the start of it. And the minute I. The minute I disconnected myself, because after that incident, I deregistered from the Democrat Party. And really, yeah, I was I was that pissed off, and I was one of the people that did not vote for Hillary Clinton. I didn't vote for Trump either in 2016. I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was going to go from Hillary to from Hillary to Trump. Instead, I went mm. the third party candidate. I voted for an even more socialist person, Jill Stein. 
which was like mm. throwing my vote away. It was like a protest vote. But <laughs> I, w- I was that pissed. And, but at that point, you know, the elections came, Trump won. I was like, wait, what was going on here? And he, he, he kept talking about the media and how effed up yeah. the media is. And being someone that used to be a Bernie, well, they used to call us Bernie bros. Mm. Being someone that used to be a Bernie bro, I completely understood where he was coming from as far as the media. I knew for a fact that the media were being hacks. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to switch to someone like Trump. Like, what? Trump. So I had to, I went through this phase of kind of like trying to rediscover my political identity. You mm. know, I became an independent. I and I, But I started, I became open to listening to all the other sides. Here I was for many years. I for me the Republicans were like opposition. It was they were like the enemy. I never even mm-hmm. bothered to even consider. And that's the, that's the narrative, right? Yes. It's like you're just expected to see them as the enemy. Yes. You're not even like assessing their think. arguments or Nothing. listening to their Nothing. policy. For every argument they had, I had a talking point to throw right back at them. It, it, you know, mm. we, we, I knew what it was. I, I, I was really deep in the party. I used to go out on campaign. I used to go out to doors, knock on doors. That's how embedded in this, in this political thing that I was. But after that 2016, I became like an independent and I had to kind of reconsider what my pol- new political identity was. But then I now said, okay, maybe let, let me even hear what these people have to say. Mm. And I, it, was a, it was like within a course of a year, my, even my family noticed that something was changing in me. All the ideals, uh, all the global warming thing that I used to talk about, all the liberal stuff that I was gung-ho on, I stopped talking about them. I started trying to like understand really what's really at the heart of these arguments. Yeah, and like applying critical thinking. Really basically. applying critical thinking. I'm telling you, mm. people are indoctrinated. When, when I tell mm. you, if not for Bernie, I would have still been deep into this stuff. So that's why I, I have a little bit of empathy for when I see people going on and on about all yeah. these things that they care about. I'm like... I, I can see where they're coming I, from. I, I, I see where they're coming from. It's not easy, Lady V. It's really mm-hmm. not. It's not. And, it, and it's not easy, especially knowing that a lot of your community feel the same way. And to step yeah. out of that, my friends, all of them, mm-hmm. they're all Democrats. I st- like they they started looking like at me. F- they, they st- <laughs> yeah, they started looking at me funny. So I, I the way I viewed all these things just changed. The way I viewed yeah. things that the media told to me, the filter I viewed it through was gone. It was mm-hmm. gone. So I would look at things and I would see what they're doing. And because I saw what they did to Bernie, I would know. Okay, this is BS. Okay, they they they're. they're they're giving information here, but 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 what's really missing is what they're not saying. The, the mm. media does that a lot. It's it's yeah. what they're not saying that's the real news. But mm. they, they will leave it out. Instead, they'll go with another headline. I started learning the little tactics that they use where they they bury the lead, is what they call it. They'll bury mm. the, the real lead is there. And they'll say it in the article, but it's not in the headline. So they'll say something mm-hmm. in the headline, but there's something in the content of the article that kind of that's the real crux of the matter like the real crux of the matter that dismisses mm-hmm. what the headline is about and they do that a lot and i started realizing what they used to do but i and on the flip side they all when they when they find some nugget that is like part of the narrative that they want to push they'll blow it out of proportion yes yes that will become 
Mm. That yes. would become the lead of the yeah, story. Especially if it kind of fits into the narrative that they've been building. I, st- I started understanding what these narratives that they keep talking about was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly but surely, I I just started decoupling myself from some of these ideas that I had attached myself to. Ideas that I didn't even know why I, I had those ideas. There's still some mm. that I still hold on to. Just for out, just more out of because I've really thought it through. I've thought of the other side and out of principle. I'm like, yes, I still believe in certain things, like so yeah. certain certain liberal pr- principles that I definitely still believe in. I still believe that we we need like um some some sort of safety net for society. Mm. Um, what I don't believe in is expanding the safety net because I understand mm. what it means now. Um, my views on immigration that's the one that really changed. Ah, mm. man, that one. That one, <laughs> that one really earned me a lot of enemies. Cause during the um, um, children in cages, do you remember that that period? Mm, oh my goodness! During the, oh, oh, my goodness. the hysteria that was going on, but people didn't un- people didn't even realize that this 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 was these cages were built by Obama, and <laughs> and it was like even if you agree that you, that people shouldn't be put in cages, do you realize that the person that built this stuff was the person that, the same president that Your you loved hero. so much? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on with the hypocrisy here? And this is when I would, I would start seeing the hypocrisy on the Democrat side. Things, like, it took me years to slowly start seeing, wow, they really, they really, they really, you know, um, brainwashed me with some of these things. But mm-hmm. I don't want to belabor the point. The point is that I am here and I'm here today. And and I, I you're you're now you're now woke. Um, I <laughs> yeah, am, that's the irony, right? I like am you've not actually woke at all. you've actually woken up. <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. I've actually no, I'm yeah. actually so this, is, this is the reverse. This is of the wokeness. real woke. Like, I'm actually awake. Mm-hmm. I'm actually awake. Yeah. And um yeah, so and I and I kinda knew I kinda went off on a tangent there. So I apologize. But yeah, I was I was trying to explain to you kind of how I evolved and how my my ideologies evolved and the point is that the genesis of this thing a lot of it is coming from the colleges so let's get back to these colleges um evergreen that whole thing happened brett weinstein testified in congress um he was telling them he was telling people that look you guys this thing is bigger than we think it is it is a serious issue and you know basically sounding the alarm right he like, sounded the alarm that was the first time that i heard about this issue but at the time i still you know i was still going through my own political awakening at the time so the a few weeks ago like i said uh, i talked to you lady v i was talking about trying to figure out the genesis and we, we talked about the evergreen incident there was another incident that seemed to spark a lot of conversation online i think it was the gamer gate um, and that one had more to do with like the feminists' ideals. Um, they they claimed someone, they claimed um, the gamer industry was trying to de-radicalize all these men and make them more, um, make it more accommodating to women. You know, because the gamer industry is mostly guys, mostly young boys. You know, but they were trying to make it more accommodating to women, and they wanted to kind of like reduce some of the violence that they see towards women so they started trying to promote like more women creators and there was this one female creator gamer who happened to be a gamer like someone that was creating a game and she was getting really really great reviews on that on that game right she really really great reviews 
And it was discovered, allegedly, that she was having relations with the person that was reviewing this her game. Like, basically, she was effing this guy for, for good mm-hmm. reviews. It was all alleged. I don't know how true it is. But it blew up. And the gamers were like, the, the all the like the staunch gamers were like, of course we know. This game is yeah. BS. We've been saying it this whole time. They're trying to push this agenda on us, this feminism agenda on us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they came for this lady, like they, because this was something that had been suspected for so long. I, but it really, really yeah. blew up. It was like, oh, finally there's evidence. Yeah, exactly. So it time. really blew up. But in it blowing up, then you had all these, you know, crazy guys online that would say really, really harsh things. People, things that nasty. people, yeah, yeah, nasty things. People that you wouldn't really consider politically correct. So that had its own backlash and it just, it kind of spiraled out of control. But that, that was another one of the big sources of like contention where I, I heard about some of these woke terms that get used internalized misogyny internalized all these sjw sjw i think that's where sjw came from i think that's where sjw came from social justice warrior because it started being used as a pejorative um yeah but then i think it was a few days ago lady v sent me a link and i saw it i was like oh yeah i'll check it out i'll check it out um but i was like you know i never really got to it until like the other day and i saw i saw the the video I'm like ah, one hour one hour 20 minutes or something like that i'm like ah, this video is long. <laughs> i said let me start cha. i said let me even you know check out the first couple minutes so i started it and the title of the video was um why colleges are becoming cults it's a series apparently and it was this guy that was talking and it's some dr lyle asher but it was on Peter Bogosian's um, uh, YouTube page, and I I know of Peter P- Peter Bogosian because he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast before. So right off the bat, I saw Peter Bogosian. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. I'll, I I at least I trust the guy. He's like a philosopher. He's he's a well respected guy. So I was like, okay, I'll check it. Because initially, I was like, when I saw one, one hour to twenty minutes, you know, some people will send you videos, they DV, and it's like three hours long, and you see it's like some random accounts but i saw peter bergosi and that was what made me be like okay i'm gonna check it out so i started watching it and he's talking about how these colleges kind of became cults and you know he started with some of the interesting things that happened within the college industry in the last hundred years um there was one particular thing that happened and this was between 1965 and 1975 and what's unique about that period is that was the period of the Vietnam War. As you, yeah. a lot of you would recall, there was a lot of social angst. So the college and a lot anti, of that's anti-war, anti-establishment. Anti-war, anti-establishment. Yeah. A lot of that was really happening on the colleges. And we had never seen anything like that before. Colleges weren't known for stuff like that before. That was the first time we saw like, the, you know, colleges, the, the woke college students, so to speak. Um, mm. And you know, it was it was in protest of the Vietnam War, and a lot of it was valid, valid um, criticisms of the government. Um, but then they said college enrollment during that time really it was spiked massively. Like a lot of kids, you know, enrolled in the college. There were so the number of college professors also like spiked. 
massively during that period. And as a result, you also had to get a lot more college administrators to come actually run these colleges because, um, you know, you have a lot more people. But that, that was kind of where things started. I want you guys to listen closely because it's very, very key. Um, the college administrators, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know it was like a thing, but they, they have to go through these, um, they call them ed schools, right? Did I get yeah, that right? Like teacher yeah. education schools. Like so, te- yeah, ed- teach- teacher ed- education schools. These teacher ed- education schools are, um, they usually, they train teachers for K through 12, but they also train college administrators. So a lot of our college administrators come from these same schools. A lot of our teachers that we have in our schools, they come from these ed schools. Now, here's one thing very unique about these ed schools, people that enroll into ed schools. Um, they tend to be, <laughs> how, how can I say this, Lady V, without sounding, <laughs> sounding ignorant? They, they, let, let me just put it this way. They're not usually the most academically astute people. Mm that you find yeah or like ambitious uh, um, yes or ambitious yes and that's not to say they don't have a very important role in society they do they do but they found that usually the, the smartest students usually went and did other degrees and the least the students that didn't pass tests as much they usually went the education route was that that's a fair assessment right lady v yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. they they found that consistently they had the lowest SAT. Consistently. Yeah. So these were people that maybe they wanted to do something before, but they resorted to education, the education route. Um, and that's where a lot of these people end up in, in these ed schools, education schools. Um they, they go, they train there. But something happened in these ed ed schools. There were there was a and I don't know how it came about, but it was Basically, they realized that in, they wanted to make an impact in society. You know, you know that that group of people that they were they they couldn't make it into the into the really really cool groups or into the like the smart groups, and they were kind of like dejected and they were like, you know what, Effie, we're gonna we're gonna change society, and their mm-hmm. idea of changing society was really coming up with these, um, with this new cynical way of looking at the world. Which, which same thing we've been talking about this whole time, this woke idea of the world. Mm. This idea that everything that is, everything that we have today was only put in place or was only done in order to keep one group of society oppressed and the other group in power. In power. That, mm-hmm. that, was, the, that was the lens with which they viewed the world. And yeah. they wanted to change that. And they decided that they were going to do that through our education system. Now I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if this is. I don't know if they had a discussion. I don't know how it came about. Um, that part of it wasn't explicitly stated. But I'll tell you, Lady V, the part that really, really, really caught my attention, the part that really caught me, like, oh wait, what's going on here? It was the part where they talked about the origins of microaggressions. Do you remember that part? Mm. All right. So mm-hmm. I have a clip. I'm going to play it, uh, really quickly. Second here, Lady V. Have you noticed that the the um, the Zoom hasn't cut off today? <laughs> we thank God. <laughs> we thank God. All right, I'm going to share my screen really quickly. Let's see, 
In the summer of 2020, a resident of Oakland, California, reported that nooses were hanging from trees in an Oakland park. Understandably, the public was alarmed and city officials removed them. The next day, at a press conference, things got more complicated. And I want to be clear that regardless of the intentions of whoever put those nooses in our public trees, in our sacred public space here in Oakland, intentions don't matter. We have got to stop terrorizing our black and brown citizens. And as white people, we have to become knowledgeable and educated about the uh, impacts of our actions, whether they are well-intentioned or not. That's Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff insisting that it didn't matter that, according to residents who'd come forward, those looped ropes had been used for games and exercises for weeks. It didn't matter that the man who'd put them up for games and exercises was himself black. Mayor Schaff said they were nooses and continued to call them nooses and symbols of hatred throughout the press conference because, she said, it's not the intention that matters, it's the impact. Now, most Americans hearing this probably thought, what is wrong with this person? Why can't she just say that the ropes were taken down because they scared people who mistook them for nooses? What's going on? What's going on is what happens when thousands of college administrators get hold of a badly argued essay and then pass its ideas along to hundreds of thousands of college students in first year orientation sessions, in dormitories, and... All right, so before we even go ahead with that, uh, like, I need to interject. Like, how crazy is that? <laughs> it, it was, I think, I think they said it was, black, it was a black person. It was a person it was of a black color guy. Mm -hmm. that put him up. It was confusion about them being put up as nuisance. And I remember the story, right? I don't remember this other part of it. You know why? Because when I saw the story, I saw the headline. I remember mm. vividly. You remember the, the headline. But you see, the, you, they will never report the retraction and the clarifications that come from it. Mm -hmm. So that, that, it, it kinda, that kinda like builds a layer in your head, right? And I, I wanna get people to start understanding how this woke agenda stuff, it builds a layer in your head. So right off the bat, you're already thinking, hmm, this America. Putting nooses. Yeah, so many racists. So many racists. So that that that's already building a narrative. So imagine another story comes up within a few days about someone else putting up a noose, maybe like a, I don't know, let's say like a like an actor that that someone put it some MAGA actors put a noose around his head. Someone like mm. a Justice Smollett. Justice Smollett. It, yeah. It builds another layer in your head, like ah man, these mm -hmm. Americans and their nooses and they're triggering each other. And that's what happens. And it just keeps building layers upon layers to the point that there's, there's this, you have a stack full of headlines that you've already come across that has mm -hmm. convinced, no one can convince you otherwise. Yeah. That this because thing is Because it's like true. you've seen the evidence with your own eyes. With your own eyes. As far as you're concerned, that's evidence. Uh, it, it's, right? it's, it's crazy. And it's crazy she kept calling it a noose. Like, what are you, yeah. what are you doing? And, you know, she said it's, it's yeah, man. She said it's the impact. It's not the intent. See, that was mm. another thing that that was another thing that changed with this. Really work. dangerous idea. It's really your dangerous intent idea. means nothing to me. Mm. All that matters is that I was offended. Yeah. Ah, man. Anyway, let me let me go on. So he goes on to explain exactly how this 
because this is considered a microaggression, right? How this microaggression term came about. So I'm going to keep playing. Diversity training programs. Hold on. Actions, whether they are well-intentioned or not. That's Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff insisting that it didn't matter that, according to residents who'd come forward, those looped ropes had been used for games and exercises for weeks. It didn't matter that the man who'd put them up for games and exercises was himself black. Mayor Schaff said they were nooses and continued to call them nooses and symbols of hatred throughout the press conference because, she said, it's not the intention that matters, it's the impact. Now, most Americans hearing this probably thought, what is wrong with this person? Why can't she just say that the ropes were taken down because they scared people who mistook them for nooses? What's going on? What's going on is what happens when thousands of college administrators get hold of a badly argued essay and then pass its ideas along to hundreds of thousands of college students in first-year orientation sessions, in dormitories, and diversity training programs. That essay is called Racial Microaggressions in Everyday Life and was published in 2007. It was written by an ed school professor, Daryl Wing Sue, and six ed school co-authors, all affiliated with Teachers College. Since 2010, especially among administrators, it's become a kind of Bible whose golden rule says, it's not the intentions that matter, it's the impact. The stated aim of the essay is to alert white people to the unintentional harm they may be doing to people of color in their daily interactions. That's a worthy goal. Decent people, whatever their color, want to know how they might be hurting other people without meaning to. But the essay is in fact a recipe for racial misunderstanding and division. The first problem is that it puts under a single banner, microaggressions, behaviors that are obviously racist on the one hand, and on the other, behaviors or statements that Professor Sue just disapproves of. It's obviously racist, to take one of Sue's examples, to refuse to get on an elevator because a black person is on it. It's not clear why that's a microaggression. There's nothing micro about it. That's just racist. But is that really comparable to someone who says, quote, there is only one race, the human race? According to Professor Sue, it is comparable because the impact of that statement on a person of color, quote, denies the individual as a racial cultural being. Well, maybe, but the speaker might just be emphasizing our common humanity. In fact, it's just this idea of what we share as human beings that the bigoted person who refused to get on that elevator desperately needs to hear. Another example of a microaggression is the statement, everyone can succeed in this society if they work hard enough. Now, Sue and others claim that the impact of this statement on a person of color the message that it sends is this, quote, people of color are lazy or incompetent and need to work harder. Again, it's possible that's the meaning in a worst case scenario, but if you're trying to encourage someone who's had a setback, it might help to say, keep at it. I know it's not easy, but you can succeed if you keep working. I mean, what in the infantilization, like is, is that nonsense? Like what the <laughs> heck? Ah, oh, man. So, so it was interesting that, because that was the first time that I'd heard about, but yeah, so this microaggression stuff, right? is this the first time you heard about it? Um, no, I've, I mean, I've come across the term before, but this is the this video is the first time I'm hearing about this essay yeah. um, written by this particular professor. Um, and this was, so, this, was one of the, this was one of the first terms that I'd heard 
with this work culture it was this mm-hmm. microaggressions and believe it or not it was at work microaggressions mm. like what what are you talking about and it's it's assigning the worst possible interpretation interpretation of, yes of something someone said and it essentially infantilizes people um mm-hmm. and i don't see when when corporations they talk make say these terms they they think they're doing it in like to they're doing it to help people but they're not pondering i i, I don't i don't think they realize that they're actually doing more harm than they mm-hmm. are doing good. Um, and again, this is something that happened to come from one of these ed school professors. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the first time that people heard of this microaggression term. It came from this essay that was written by this ed school professor. So are you seeing a theme here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're not convinced. I mean, you know, it's, it's so pervasive now. Like you, if you just talk to anybody on the street, yes, like they know what the microaggression is, but nobody can actually pinpoint like where does this idea come from? It's just taken as such a given, yeah, that it's a thing in our society. The same way the definition of racism has changed, yes, no one really noticed the change. It has just changed. It just changed. It's the same way microaggressions just kind of just arrived in like our lexicon and. and- you can't challenge it anymore. It's just a given that this is a thing. But you know what? It makes it because you. I kept wondering, like, how 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 did it come into our lexicon? It's because it's coming from the people that are educating us. That's yes. why they're the ones. Yeah. They're the ones responsible. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, man. So there was another part that I want another clip. That I don't know if you had any other commentary on this origins of microaggressions. Um. Yeah, not not specific to microaggressions, but just on this point that you said, like it's coming from people who are educating us. I think another point that he made in the video, maybe you're gonna play a, a clip on this, but mm-hmm. um the 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 worst part of this the ideas coming from the administrators is that it's not in a classroom. Like it's not the faculty that are pushing the ideas. Yes. The administrators are just unchallenged authorities on campus. Yeah. So they will have like you know, diversity and inclusion sessions. Everybody yes. has to attend. It's mandatory. Yes. And this is just what you are told. So it is not like a classroom setting where there's debates, you know, the professor brings up the, you know, the, the traditional college setting where it's like, yeah. you're talking about ideas yeah. and you're debating the merits and the merits of different ideas. It's just, there's a narrative. The college administrators have like set up this session and yeah. they just, pushing pumping your brain with these ideas really 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 sad so there was another one a Yale incident this time Yale this is one of our premier one of the most premier institutions college institutions in the world this happened check this out you're likely to have heard about it's the Yale Halloween costume controversy of 2015 That controversy began a few days before Halloween when an administrator warned the student body in an email about wearing offensive costumes. When a teacher at Yale and an expert on early childhood education, Erica Christakis, questioned the need for such a warning, a firestorm erupted. Thanks to Greg Lukianoff, the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, we have part of that firestorm on film. 
It might otherwise be hard to believe that a few days after Halloween, around a hundred students surrounded, cursed, and tried to physically intimidate Erica's husband, Yale professor Nicholas Christakis, for more than three hours. Then why the fuck did you accept the position? Because what I have the a fuck hired you? I have a different vision. You should step down. If that is what you think about being on tenacity, you should step down. It is not about creating an intellectual space. It is not. Wait, Lady V, what? What did this lady? Because I was busy fondling with my screen. What? What did the lady say again? All, all she said was. All she did was push back. She didn't say anything racist, if, if I recall, right? She just said. So she just questioned she was why. She's saying, "Why do we need to warn students about this? Like our students are smart enough to do to do better, and like yeah, introducing this idea is kind of." Yeah, they have better judgment than this. And, you know, this is not even a problem at this college. It's like, it's not like this was a problem and they're trying to address it. Yeah. You know, you're creating the problem by talking about something that doesn't even exist on the campus. Nobody had been wearing offensive, racially insensitive costumes. You know what I'm saying? So, and this is, and this, if the funny thing about this is, this is not even the woman, this is not the person that said, it's her husband that said it, who who also happens to be, to be a professor at the college, but let let's let's keep I'm going. Sick. You know the irony. I am disgusted. That the irony is that the lady was saying that the students are not as fragile as you think they as are. You think they are. But the students are proving them. <laughs> students are proving her wrong. Can you imagine? And this is <laughs> Yale. This is like this is where people are getting a paying top dollar for education. What does this mm-hmm. say about the rest? Like. Imagine if Yale is like this. The other colleges have no chance. No this chance. Is, this is very, 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 very sad to watch. Yale. Like, I, have you even learned anything? Imagine spending all that money, right, on your child. And they end up like this, reacting to someone saying, someone telling them that, that they're not as fragile as you think. And they react like this. You've, you, you might as well go and burn that money in a pit of in a pit somewhere because exactly that's pointless at that point but let's go yeah. watching Alex argue with you you were not listening you were disgusting not angry before but now i am actually angry sir i really do not interrupt you see her crying. i was not angry <laughs> and now i want your job to be taken from you oh, i don't want you to have this job i am disgusted knowing that you work at yale university where i will get my degree where i will look back and think i have to argue with you As familiar as this scene is, there are two important points that most people have either forgotten or never knew. The first point is that there was no offensive costume. That is, no one had actually worn a Halloween costume that students complained about in 2015. In fact, no one had reported seeing an offensive Halloween costume at Yale for as long as anyone could remember. But the second point is crucial. What all 6,500 undergraduates at Yale had seen just a few days before Halloween was probably the largest collection of racist images and film clips ever sent to a student body on an American university campus. This was the one, this was the part that really got me like, uh, these people have really lost their minds. This is is beyond insanity. What he's about to reference is the VP of Yale College. It, it it this stuff caused caused such a shit storm. It hit the VP's desk, and this guy decided to send out blast out an 
email. Keep in mind, no one has won any any terrible costumes so far in this story. But listen. That collection was not sent by Professor Christakis or his wife Erica, who ended up resigning from her job because of the controversy. That collection was sent as four internet links in that first campus-wide email sent by the Ed School trained Vice President for Student Engagement, Bergwell Howard, a few days before Halloween. This is just the sort of thing that Ed School administrative culture encourages, of course, keep race front and center at all times. Now, the stated aim of that email was to caution students against wearing costumes that might seem to mock someone's race, culture, or religion and to remind students about the racist stereotypes behind all the costumes that they had not been wearing, the vice president included links to an amateurish website which collected racist images. The students who clicked on blackface in the dean's email saw images like these. No one should ever be subjected to having to go through this in college. The students who learn. clicked on yellow face saw images like these. And so on. Keep in mind, this album of bigoted insults was included in an email which, in good ed school fashion, warned students that it would be the impact of their Halloween costumes, not their intentions, that mattered. So why wasn't Vice President Howard worried about the impact of all those racist images he'd sent to every undergraduate on campus? Was it because he knew that intentions did in fact matter? That minority students considered yes. him an ally and would just assume he had good intentions? Or was it because the racist images he sent, however insulting they were to minority students, indirectly implicated all non-minority students in those insults? An actual, real-life, racially offensive Halloween costume could have been used to accomplish that, but no one had been wearing those. Whatever the answer to those questions, we know that undergraduates decided not to blame the vice president for student engagement for exposing them to those dehumanizing, racist caricatures. They made the decision not to feel insulted by the dean's email, just as surely as Yale undergraduates had been deciding for years not to wear costumes that might be perceived as insulting. In other words, the students were doing exactly what Erica Christakis said they were capable of doing. In the email that would end her lectureship at Yale, she expressed faith in the capacity of all students to decide what costumes to wear and to regulate themselves. Yale students had been doing exactly that for years without a problem. She also expressed faith in the capacity of students to ignore and reject things that troubled them. They'd done just that, when they ignored and rejected all those hateful Jim Crow era cartoons and racist caricatures that the vice president of student engagement himself had linked in his campus-wide email. So, I, I, I didn't want to say, I was going to say what's the lesson here, but there's really no lesson here. It's just, it, it's, the, the whole idea is to keep it front and center. It's to, it's almost like, you know how they say, when all when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. That's how this mm -hmm. ideology works. It, there's no yeah. logic to it. It's about the results, and the result that they want is they want you to be hyper aware, mm -hmm. hypersensitive. Um, 
to the point that if you happen to have been a very naive person that didn't even wasn't even exposed to these things, now you're exposed to them. Yeah, you and now you're angry. And now you're it. angry. And if you yeah. happen to be a white person who didn't even know anything about what a blackface was, now you now you know what a blackface was and now you know what something that can that can be weaponized against black people. Mm-hmm. But I need people to understand this is this is the college level. This is kind of where it started. But we're seeing it play out in the media every day. Yeah. Every day. We see it play out in the media with these police shootings. You know how? If there if the subject of a police shooting happens to be a black man and is unarmed, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Immediately the rush to judgment is racism. Mm. If the same exact thing happened with a white man, it doesn't make the news. It doesn't. So what's yeah. the, the media is pretty much acting as, they're pretty much acting in the same faith as these school administrators were acting. The media has become those school administrators. And they, yes. their only point is to keep feeding anything that fits into this narrative that they have going. And I want people to understand that you may you may think that they're giving you information that you need, but what they're actually doing is they are they are emotionally manipulating you. That's really all mm-hmm. it is. Emotional blackmail. Yeah. That's yeah. really all it is. You're being manipulated. Because that's what happens with these police shootings. There was another one too the other day. Um Jayland Walker or something like that. I got killed by police. Again. I, I, it's very possible that the police were wrong, but we don't have all the information. But it's already all over Twitter, everywhere. Oh, unarmed black man, shots a hundred times. So as a black person, Gosef, that's the kind of story that would it would depress you, but you keep seeing these stories all the time. These, yeah. these media sources, they're doing harm. And I want people to real, understand real, that. Real tangible harm they're to doing the harm. black people. It, it's... It's really upsetting. It's really, 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 really upsetting what they're doing. And, and you know. I mean, look at the, the, you saw in the video that this girl was crying. There was someone who was actually, and I'm still trying to understand what the students were so upset about, to be very honest. But they had whipped themselves into such a frenzy. Such a that frenzy. Tears. You know, such hysterical. A- and then, but you Over, know what? You know I what happens? The more they, the more they keep seeing things like that, the more they keep coming across things like that. The more hypersensitive they become, and the more mm-hmm. people that weren't naturally fragile to begin with, they actually become fragile. Yeah. And anything sets them off. And you know, Lady yeah. V, you see this on Clubhouse all the time. The littlest thing you're talking, you're trying to debate, you just say one wrong word. Oh, oh my God! You just, you just. You, you just triggered me. And then they go into their diatribe. You kind of have mm-hmm. debates with some of these people just because of certain words you use. Any little thing. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not about winning the debate. It's about making you succumb. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Yeah. And I'm, that's why I, this video was so, is so important to watch. I really hope you all can go out and you know, look it up. I'm yeah. going to post the it's link. Really important. For everybody to yes. watch, to be honest. Why to understand what's going to on. To really understand what's going on. That's what these school administrators were doing. And then they, they exposed them to some more racial, racial, even more racist images. No one had won a, a, 
a Halloween costume that was offensive so far at this point. Not a yeah. single person. I and mean, like he said, if they had been wearing them, they, they could have used the pictures of the offensive costumes. You know? That they were as examples of, oh, this is what not to wear. But there was nothing. <laughs> so they had to link to like racist uh, image galleries online. Uh, and you know, the, the, the funny thing is, I like, I feel like, like you said, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, yes. right? If you expect that people um, need to be protected from words and pictures, mm-hmm. then they will become the kind of people that need to be protected from words and pictures. Like yeah. I'm a black person and looking at a racist image doesn't trigger me, doesn't upset me because it's an image. Yes. It's a different thing if someone is like actively, you know, calling me a racial slur mm-hmm. or comparing me to a racial stereotype. That's a different thing. You're like actively being racist towards me. But it's a picture of your, like a racist stereotype. It's it's something that you should be able to look at and you know, walk by, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, oh, this is not a it's it, it's something that used to happen in the past. It's not something that was good. You look at it, like have your assessment of it, and then you move on. Yeah. But it's not something that should upset you to the extent that you're like hysterical. Yeah. And we've just, I think we've just created a generation of people that cannot handle anything. Like they're so fragile. Yeah. They can't handle anything. Not yeah. to, to, to not to speak of a debate with someone who like doesn't have the same worldview as them. Even just the picture can trigger you. Then yeah. I mean, you can't handle real life. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm going to go on to play this final part of this clip because I th- I think there's another there's another something of that work the way this works is the reward system and he talks about it so I'm going to fast forward really quickly to to the point. likewise for those in the business of healing race relations racial division is your sworn enemy but your secret friend so much so that wounding and healing become part of the same operation. Mm-hmm which explains why two of the students who were most critical of Nicholas Christakis that day back in 2015, one of whom tried to bully him physically, were awarded Yale's 2017 Nakanishi Prize for providing, quote, exemplary leadership in enhancing race relations. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. (sighs) Man, we are so screwed. We are so screwed. I keep wondering... You know, if I'm going to send my daughter to school, for instance, like, how do I even, where do I even begin? What college? Hopefully this and stuff is, they've, they've, they've read them of this stuff by the time she gets to college education. But I think about it now. Hold on. I think, I think Toby just arrived. Okay. Oh, gosh, I opened the garage for him now. Why is he going through the main door? You know, one of the things that, other things that he had talked about, and I don't have to play the clip, but he had talked about, the intention versus impact. And that's kind of how this woke ideology works. Um, There's an effect to it. It's, first of all, the way it started out was they expanded the definition of racism. So they're able to catch many, many different instances that- More people in the dragon. More people, yes, exactly. That was the first step. Then what they do is they, they silence people by warning them about the risk of trauma. What do you mean? So, the, the people that would naturally come out and speak out against, like, oh, maybe someone, they feel like someone is getting bullied with this woke ideology of theirs, mm-hmm. they're scared to come out. That's what's happening with a lot of our friends. 
Lady, would you agree? Lady V, would you agree? A lot of people that we know, a lot of people that they know that this stuff doesn't make any sense, but they're like, I don't want to get canceled. And yeah. and what happens is, the guy explained it in the video. I'm not going to bother playing it, but he he gave a really good analogy for it. He said it's like strapping on a grenade to someone's chest and telling them to jog. Obviously, they're not going to jog because they know at some point the grenade would is going to like they don't want to. They don't want to blow themselves up. And that's really what it what it is. When they tell you that ah, if you come out and you oppose us, you're actually risking trauma to this oppressed class. They do it all the time. We see with this trans stuff all the time. No, no, like... Lady, Lady V, do you notice they do with the trans stuff all the time? Where they, they, If, oh, you, if yeah. you try to debate, the first thing they say is that do you know how many of these people uh, commit suicides? Commit suicide, yes, yes. So it's like they, they they actually use the word genocide now. Yes. Um, like Matt Walsh has been called genocidal yes. against trans people just for being critical of yes. the ideology. Yes. Yes. So and that's what they do, and that's why so many people are afraid to speak up. So many people are afraid to come out and say what they really think. Because the minute you do that, you're seen as someone that's either enabling the racists. If you happen to be black, you have internalized racism. No, no. If, if you happen to be black, the punishment is times 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you're, 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 you are pretty much treated like a pariah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, look at, look at the way they, they talk about Clarence Thomas these days. No, no. Like, the, the, like Milady call, V, call you see the, that? The N-word. There Publicly. Was a, there was a white person that actually came out recently. And came out and said that he said some really, really very, very racist, racist. It was I think it was a former basketball player. He was supposed to be on CNN Plus. I saw it somewhere. He said some pretty effed up things. This was someone that was supposed to be considered a liberal. Some pretty effed up things to Clarence Thomas, and no one batted an eye. You know why? Because Clarence Thomas, he has been completely ejected from the from the polite society from. His, his black card has been revoked. It has been revoked. It doesn't fit the narrative. You know, um, the same thing with Candace Owens. People yes. are very racist to Candace Owens oh, yeah. online, oh, yeah. but nobody cares. No, no one says a thing about it no, because no one, she's not the she's not following the party line. No, no one bats an eye. No, no one bats one single eye. Um. But your video went off again. Oh, you did my video. Yeah, yeah, it's gone black. I mean, like, what's going on with no, this video? No, like, one thing I'm, I'm actually gonna say, yeah, and I'll kind of say like, it's something which, in a way, I kind of fear. Um, is that many people who tend to be what we call woke, kind of mistaken, like the. More, the more general population and the country for people in their social groups. So meaning the like, you know, for example, in their social groups, there are some things people are going to accept whereby if you try it with other people, people will not even like tolerate that being done, which is kind of why I fear for the backlash that can come against all these things like being woke. So like, let me put it like in more concrete examples. Mm -hmm. A mistake I think 
many woke people make, quote unquote woke, both black and white, is, for example, the black people mistaken their quote unquote white allies for 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 you know the average white person, and the white Wait, people the black people mistaken their their allies yes, for the average white person. Yes, yes. Let me let me um let me um explain that more. What do I mean? For example, many of like the so-called allies and things like that, they are in the woke way of doing things. There are some things that they would overlook or they would agree with, which other people would not would not even agree with or tolerate. So like, okay, for example, let's look at this whole thing like, you know, from a pure socioeconomic background. Yeah. On average. But, but try to yeah, yeah, yeah. keep it concise. Yeah. On average, many of like, the many woke people are pretty much suddenly middle class and upper middle class. Yes. And for the most part, they are doing well. Yes. I, I think I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Now go into the middle of Kentucky mm-hmm. and, or in the middle of, I don't know, Kansas mm-hmm. with the assumption that the white people they mix with, you know, God knows where in New York or in Boston yeah. are the white people in Kentucky. Those white people will look at you and say, I have been suffering since God knows when. Get out of my face. Yeah. That like like that's the thing I fear. And I don't even know how to put put this like in really powerful words, but a backlash from white people who just say, We have our problems. Yeah. All these things you're saying, we do not give an F. And in many ways, I think many of these woke people are playing with fire they do not understand. Or could it also be that this is really their intention, that they they are trying to stoke a racial war of yeah. some sort? Yeah, I think, no, I think it goes both ways. Now, let me explain what I mean by it goes, it goes both ways. We're obviously of um, Nigerian background. We all grew up in, in Nigeria and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. One thing I would actually say is when it comes to things like tribalism, racism, there is an angle which more educated people take it from more educated and more like you know um more affluent people take it from mm-hmm. which normal people don't like they are what's the angle like to put to say concisely their experts are either being racist or tribalist mm. like you think they're they're more racist than the no, average no in no in some angles mm-hmm. They are more racist and tribalist. And I would even go, go further and say why I kind of think so. I think at the end of the day, a lot of these woke things mm-hmm. are a power play among upper class people. And lower class people are being used as pawns. Okay. So oh, when I say... To gain power. When I say Which, a power play, okay, it's a power play between well-to-do black people and well-to-do white people. But the well-to-do black people mm-hmm. use the situation of the down-to-do black people in order to advance what they want. Ultimately. In order to advance. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. And it's working. Very I'll tell well. you, it's working. Though. Ultimately, being yeah. woke is a power play among well-to-do people. That's how I, I view but, it then. But what, what, what do the white people that are woke stand to gain is what I'm trying to figure out. Or Virtue. Are, are you thinking Virtue those are the, oh, No, no. It's... it's it's virtue signaling. And let me give like a very solid example. And sorry if I come off sounding somehow. 
white people who are here going off against, you know, white men and things like that, in a way, I kind of fear them. I can't trust them. And I'll say why for like one simple reason. Don't they have fathers who are white? So are they indirectly saying that they would basically slam their father in public? Just of course. Look, just Some look of them good, have already done that already. Just look good. Now, now yeah, think, a lot of them have done now, that already. Now, now, think about it this way. If they can do that to people who they're close to, mm-hmm. imagine what, what they, they would do, do, to do to you when you fall out of line. I know. It's very, uh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I, I want us to quickly finish on this video and then we're going to go on a break. But there's okay. a, there's another clip that I want to play. And this is the part where he talks about um, what does it mean to be literate in social justice? Uh, it's a very interesting analysis he has here. But uh, yeah, I'm going to play for you. 45. Ah, your phone is, is going off the hook. I, I, I hate it vibrating. You didn't hear it? Actually, I... I didn't hear it. No, it's gone off now. Are you sure someone doesn't need you? No. Okay, so um, this is what does it mean to be literate in social justice? Analysis of the subject because of a still deeper political commitment to the right of his students to hear all sides of a complex question. So that they can form their own judgments about what justice means. But Counts' Ed School authoritarian streak is alive and well 90 years later. Consider an essay published the same year that Professor Sandel's course at Harvard was first broadcast on television in 2009. The title of the essay is Developing Social Justice Literacy and was written by two Ed School professors, one of whom, Robin DiAngelo, would become as famous in 2020 for her book, White Fragility, Okay, that was something I forgot to mention. So, yeah, we, we we concluded, at least this video is concluded, that the source, or at least the driver for a lot of these woke ideology stuff is coming from ed school. Educator oh, school. Oh, 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 oh. The people that educate our kids. The, the people that teach our K-12 through and the administrators of college institutions. We are realizing that a lot of their schools have already been corrupted. In fact, there was this report that he cited, Lady, I don't know if you remember, where he said that years ago they had done a study on these schools and they realized that a lot of these schools were junk and that most of yeah, them... The academic, their level of academic uh, achievement. Yes. Like that, yeah, a lot of them had to be disbanded. But what did they end up doing? They ended up adding more schools. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that the demand for schools kept going up. Um, more colleges were being established. More college professors were being hired. I mean, we, I talked about it earlier. Between 1965 and 1905, the, the number of schools went up significantly. You mean um, high schools or just no, all schools? College, college, oh. college institutions. Oh, I'm talking about college institutions. But it's the educators, meaning the teachers of the K through 12 mm-hmm. and the administrators of college college institutions and all of them have to go through ed school oh yeah so a big part of this is ed school a big part of the drive for this is ed school now he's talking about i didn't even know robin d'angelo was an ed school professor it makes sense right lady v like it, it actually robin makes D'Angelo. sense but as michael yeah, sandel was in 2010 the white fragility. yeah white fragility first on justice 
D'Angelo's essay doesn't talk about disagreements or debates, but only about those who practice social justice and those who, quote, resist it. There is, for example, and I quote, student resistance to topics they do not fully understand, but the more awkward challenge, D'Angelo writes, is the resistance of colleagues, resistance that often comes before a demonstration of basic social justice literacy. So what does it mean to be literate in social justice? The first thing it means is becoming fluent in newly concocted definitions of words. Racism is now, quote, white racial and cultural prejudice and discrimination. Black people can be prejudiced, but they lack the institutional power that transforms it into racism. Reverse racism does not exist owing to power relations that are historic and embedded. So if a student who's been labeled an oppressor based on her skin color tries to defend herself against what she calls reverse racism, she doesn't have to be listened to at all, any more than she'd be listened to if she'd talked about unicorns in a discussion of endangered species. If she then just calls it racism, she can be ignored again because racism is something that only white people can be guilty of. It's like, it's so perfect. The way it's set up, it's, it's like, it's you can't for, go- for conflict. You can't, you can't go wrong <laughs> with it. You're, you're always going to be right as someone that's yeah. advocating for oh, this. Mate. Yeah, this it's like a, what they call an unfalsifiable theory. It's yes. like, there's no way to disprove it. There's nothing. The true. other person is always right. The person proposing this idea is always right. Always you're always right. right exactly what George Orwell envisioned in his novel 1984 when he described the aims of Newspeak. The goal is to construct a vocabulary in which, quote, the expression of unorthodox opinions above a very low level was well nigh impossible. Even raising questions is considered an offense in this brave new world of social justice as described by D'Angelo and her co-author. Mm -hmm. Being an ally of oppressed groups requires, quote, validating and supporting people who are socially or institutionally positioned below yourself, regardless of whether you understand or agree with where they're coming from. And a sure symptom of having internalized one's own sense of dominance, mm -hmm. feeling authorized to debate or explain away the experience of target groups. It's really hard to know what's worse. Is it the condescending assumption that oppressed groups require unconditional support and validation in the way that an infant requires unconditional love? Or is it the idea that, quote, feeling authorized to debate is a sign of anything other than the great privilege of being a citizen in a democracy? Yeah, that's that's kind of how it works, man. It, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's like a catch-22. You can't, you know... You can't be wrong. The only way you can be successful at social justice is by succumbing to exactly what they want you to do. It doesn't matter. There's no room for intellectual debate, logic, none of that. None of that matters. And it's unfortunate. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this. I know it's it's kind of taking a while, but he talks about the main cause for the knowledge gap for our poor kids. Um and, and I think this was a very, very, very important point that he made. And I know you like this, Toby, because you're always talking about it. You'll see in a second. So this is, he's talking about like, basically he's trying to address the issue with society, with how, you know, there's certain groups that are Well, I've had more, only about um, 13. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is where he talks about it. Sorry. 
of them died of cold and starvation, all in the name of... By age three, children from economic... And that uh, if we're lucky, we can cut out 30% of the population that votes the wrong way. Hold on. Some ad. I need to cut off the ad. Gosh, I'm going to need to do so much editing after this. And it's going right. on. All right, this is time. it. The knowledge gap. Anyone truly interested in educational equity and social justice has to deal with a serious problem. By age three, children from economically advantaged families will have had about 45 million words spoken to them in their first three years of life, whereas children from low-income families will have had only about 13 million words spoken to them. Professors of psychology and human development Betty Hart and Todd Risley, whose research led to this finding, call this gap of 30 million words by age three the early catastrophe. It's a catastrophe that keeps growing if schools don't supply a remedy because those 30 million extra words begin to form a kind of net, not just of words, but of meaning and knowledge about the world. And the more knowledge you have, the more strands you have in your net, the tighter the mesh, the more knowledge you can catch, the more connections you can make to all the new things coming at you. The knowledge rich, in other words, get knowledge richer. If public schools aren't closing that knowledge deficit by means of an organized content-based curriculum that gives low-income students what other kids pick up in their home environments, then all their talk about educational equity is just that. It's talk. In 1987... And then he goes on to talk about how to solve this, which I'm just going to fast forward to. 15, 30... Yeah, this is the part that you, you may like. Teacher training schools have gotten even less academically serious and even more ideologically extreme. Most are now pushing the neo-racist principles of critical race theory with the same ideological fervor that they've been pushing the disastrous principles of whole language reading instruction since the 1970s. In the long term, I believe the only real solution to the problems in our schools will come in the form of competition. That is, school choice, allowing all parents, not just the wealthy ones, to send their children to good schools, whether traditional public schools, public charter schools, or private schools with a track record of academic excellence. But in the short term, there are things parents can do now, not just for their own children, but for their neighbor's children too. First and most important, find out how reading is being taught in the early grades in your local school. If there isn't a heavy emphasis on phonics instruction, or even if there is some emphasis on phonics, but children are being encouraged to guess at words rather than sound them out, that's a huge red flag. And here's the crucial point. Even if your own child is doing okay with reading and reading at grade level, that may be happening not because of, but in spite of the reading instruction your child is getting in school. So I'd urge everyone to think communally here. Think of the children who may not have the advantages that your own child may have, and whose parents may just assume that teachers are following evidence-based guidelines for teaching reading. All right, so, so that's, that was, that's pretty much his solution. It's, it's uh, about school choice and his, his prescription of like, what's really going on with these inequities in our society, which I always rightly pointed out, is that it comes down to reading. And, and I know this because I've I've actually been in these schools. Um, 
it's it's pretty bad. These kids it's, can't. It's read. sad. A lot of these kids cannot read, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they can't. They are, they already have issues coming from home. from home. So and once you miss them between that very very tender age, that k k kindergarten age, K to three hours, so. it's almost impossible. Yeah, hard to catch up. It's hard. It's to, very hard to catch. It's hard to catch mm. up. And what that ends up doing is it's it's like a balloon effect, um, generation after generation after generation of poverty. Oh, they want to say something. Um, one thing, like one area where I feel. Edu- like K through twelve education in this country mm-hmm. is kind of off. Is like if you look at like a country like Nigeria, um, even both like in public and private schools, pretty much there is a possibility that kids could be made to repeat their grade. In Nigeria, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like here, that doesn't really exist. Maybe except like you know, in, in some. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it does. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think doesn't. Heard yeah, of that. doesn't. Yeah, now that's something else which I think should actually be done. Mm-hmm. They should begin making. Is that it used to happen before and then it stopped because of like, you know, no kids left behind those kind of programs? Or it's just never been a thing in the US um, uh, educational system? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't know either. I'll, I don't know I'll, enough about it. I'll, I'll have to, to find out. But like just, like, just the general points I'm trying to make is a big then we can really change education in this country, especially for poor people, is making kids repeat grades. I feel that, like, let's say, like, you know, in the news, people hear about, like, you know, 100,000 kids have no choice but to repeat fifth grade. Something will be done to change educational Perhaps. outcomes. But for as long as in a city like Baltimore, is it, like, 10% of 12th graders are at grade it's level really or bad, something. Man. It's really bad. For as it's long really as that exists, do not e- expect anything to change. Like, personally, I, like, I will say something like, if I was a governor, right, I'll figure out a way of failing school districts, for real. With the intent that that thing will make so much news mm-hmm. that people will know that something has been done to change the whole the system. Maryland governor he's been calling for investigation in Baltimore schools for years now because but but you know the problem like nothing is going to change unless you allow market forces to like you know in we incent change the incentives it's an incentive structure no no like like I, if if you if you don't have any consequences like no matter how many times people call for reform or whatever it is if People are going to go to those schools anyway. Yeah. And if teachers are going to get paid anyway, nothing's going to change. I mean, like... like you can try to reform from now to tomorrow. You know, like, Lady V, I agree with, with what you said about, you know, market incentives and, and things like that. But, like, one thing I would actually say is, personally, I think, in a sense, it even goes beyond that. Because, okay, like, f- for example... You can you can have like the best school choice programs in the world and things like that. Number one, you also need to have people who like really value the education they're trying to get, yeah, and who go for it. Yeah. And yeah, that's the main thing. You really need to have people who value the education they're going for. And also, one thing I'd actually kind of say, and in this regard, I actually do agree with people who say this all the time. In a way, I would actually agree that like there should be like a higher minimum pay for for um, teachers. 
I'll, mm. I'll kind of, why is that? I'll kind of actually agree with that, but like only with, with, with one caveat, there must be ability to fire. Yeah, they they yeah. right now they it's hard to fire them. Even in colleges, yeah. Once you get tenure, you, you, it's it's you're almost yeah, unfireable. Exactly. I'm just wondering why they should get paid more for not doing anything because it's clear that they're they're not doing a good job. So why should they have guaranteed minimum pay when we already know that they are not doing a good job? Like, what's the yeah, it, what's it goes, the reason? No, for that? No, it goes against the principle of no. competition no, and no. actually trying to actually. Um, incentivize people to do better. If, you, if there's mm. a minimum pay, then <laughs> you're just gonna do the minimum. No, no, no. True, true to that. But one thing I would actually say is, in a way, okay, like this might be kind of going on kind of a tangent. Yeah. One thing, not... one thing that that can be done to like a good deal, which I, I think everyone should be able to agree with, to like you know change education and things like that. It should come as a package. Number one, sure. Teacher wages will be massively increased, but firing teachers must be way easier. Number two, all this HR staff and overhead costs must they be need to go. must be cut by like at least sixty percent. And number three, massively increase all options for what people can do. So charter schools, whatever people school choice. Yeah, I, I think we definitely yeah. can all agree on school choice. Yeah. Um yeah. but again I I don't want us to veer off too much. Mm-hmm. I want to come back to I want to kind of wrap this up in a little nice little bun. Is we're talking about the genesis of woke. And he's you know that man was talking about how we kind of you know fixed some of the inequities we have. But I, I don't think he's talking about how we can fix this work situation that we have right now. Um, I, I get it that we need to maybe hold our teachers to higher standards, but in order to phase out this, this, um, this crop of school administrators and educators, it'll take us way too long. Is there anything else that we can do at this point? I mean, to kind of go against this tide of wokeness in our society. You know, we talked about the genesis. Uh, I want to. I want to start off with with Lady V. Or, or like, what are you like? How? Where do we even begin with approaching this this culture of wokeness? Right. Yeah. Um, I I think it has to be, um, like a grassroots kind of thing like community-based grassroots effort okay from people who are seeing what is happening so like you like we were talking about earlier like we used to be you know steeped in these ideas and kind of like left we're able to to leave and then look at it from the outside yeah so we can understand that the people who are in there kind of their minds are kind of just captured by this whole thing Mm -hmm. so they need a jolt to push them to think differently to think critically and it needs to not come from it can't come from media nobody trusts them i think either on the left or the right nobody really trusts the media it needs to um, come from, from an authoritative yeah so i i don't think it it needs to come from an authoritative source i think it needs to come from like people around them um i mean friends people that they people that they know personally who are able to challenge them while also acknowledging 
where they're coming from. Yeah, it's but, like I understand but, but, but you, I understand where it's coming from, but yeah, but Lady I v, also like I need to challenge. But you 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 admitted that a lot of people in these social groups that we have already they're already indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. So what what you're yeah. saying is that it would take the very few of us, yeah, which is already a a tall hill to climb already to try to convince the majority. I think that's asking a I lot. I think I I think that we are actually not as um, few as we are made to feel that we are. Yes. Uh, because the narrative in the media is just so loud. Yes. That you don't realize that there are a lot of silent people around that, like you said, they're just scared. Yes. Of voicing their opinions. And the media has kind of drowned out everything except for this, these radical points of view. So it actually does help to kind of just speak out. So people know, like, not everybody agrees with these narratives that you're seeing yeah. out there. But you but know? then you have these silent people that are on the sidelines that haven't come off the sidelines yet till today. So let, let's assume that those ones are completely, they're not even a, a factor because they, they're not even bold enough to come out and say anything. Mm. You now end up having the more vocal people, you got you to gotta think of it, Lady V. You, first of all, you have authority that's already on the side of these people. People like the, yeah. the, president, the presidential administration. They're already on the side of these people. Our authorities, our actual authorities, a lot of them are already on their side. Corey, just said our, something very key. Our, our educational authorities, they're already on, this, on their side. Our media mm. already... I, Lady V, you have to understand, there's already a lot of... And, and, you know, I know you don't live in the United States, so maybe it's not as prevalent over there where you are. I'm telling you here in the United States, it's everywhere. Our state governments, especially for the liberal states, they're already on the side of these people. A lot, a lot of these educators, these, these, these ed schools that we're talking about, they, they already hold power. A lot of them are, are, are chancellors at these universities. So authority already, we've lost already. Let, let's even say later on, we, you know, we get lucky and we get like a conservative president. Maybe things, we can even say maybe... Ron DeSantis. Yeah, we can even say maybe things, maybe we may even <laughs> have a little hope. But right now, Lady V, authority already on the side. You have the silent majority. They've been silent. They haven't stopped being silent. Yes, every now and then someone gets activated and says something. But... A lot, of te- a lot of them end up crashing and getting cancelled. So we can't rely on them. Then we have this small minority of people that are really pushing this woke thing forward. They're really they, they, small, loud minority, but they dominate our airwaves. They're in the media. Then you have us, right, in our group of friends. You know, most of, a lot of them are silent people. They're silent. They're sidelined people. They're not going to talk. You have some of us that we're very vocal, anti-woke. I make it very clear. But the majority of everyone else is in favor of this woke agenda. So my question to you, and and we have to be realistic. I know we always say, yeah, we just have to go out there and say, and I'm not going to stop going out here and saying it loud as possible to try to activate as many people as, as possible. Yeah. But realistically... Is there anything else? Because, like I said, this is something that could take 
years to have people slowly kind of diffuse into this other side. But is there anything else realistically that you think we can do? And and I have some ideas. But hmm. again, just Yeah. So that, I guess I have to think about this one because I I like my first answer to this is just, you know, going for at it from the grassroots. But let me see what what are the thoughts that you have? I think decisions like the Skodas decision we had, they're big. It emboldens people. I'm not even in favor of the decision necessarily. I'm, I'm in favor of it in principle because I don't like how it... But it emboldens people. It sends a message. Do you see mm. um, Clarence Thomas's... Uh, oh, that Hillary, Hillary, Hillary yeah. Clinton dissed him or something before he said or something. No, the 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 Roe v. Wade reversal, his statement on it. Yeah, he said that we're coming for all you, all your stuff, man. They are coming for all <laughs> all his ideology. That that was the message that was being sent. Uh, I want to tell you people, and that's what I realized that oh, he, this is a very strong message that's coming from an authority. The Supreme Court justice, I'm telling you, it does something. It slowly, the, the all the silent people, it emboldens them a little bit. Sure. I think mm. the key, the key, is to take over these institutions. That's why I'm I'm such a big proponent of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Mm. <laughs> that's why I'm such a big proponent of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. That's why, uh. that's why I've already I've dedicated myself that in the next election. Anywhere I see a dem, a D or a blue, I am avoiding. It does. I, I don't have to vote with Republican. Anyone but D. We have to take over power. We have to take over these institutions. We have to take over our school boards. We have to be there. We have to take over our school boards. We have to be the ones electing these educators, the people that want to be our vice chancellors in our, in our colleges. It's power. It's power. That's where that's mm. what it boils down to. Even the uh, the perception of power alone changes people's minds. I'm telling you, this school's decision. I'm t- I'm telling you, it's it's bigger than just abortion rights, Toby. It's it, there's it it and the way he worded it, it was almost like he was threatening people. Like we see all of you, we can come for you too. And you notice all the other scholars, they didn't sign up on on his right. Yeah. They never sign up to many things he said. <laughs> they didn't sign up on his. And, you know, obviously, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's he's threatening to do there, but it was the it's message, power. Well, it was the message the, that was being sent. Yeah, sorry, go the ahead. The draft Danny. opinion, Alito's draft opinion, actually stated some of those um, things it that did? Clarence Thomas was talking about, like hmm. um, the Griswold um, lobbying cases. Really? Yeah. So you know, in when the draft opinion first came out, yeah, a lot of the talking points of the left was like, "Oh no, they're going to come for um, uh, gay marriage. They're going to come for interracial marriage." The reason was because in the draft opinion, Alito had actually mentioned that substantive, substantive <laughs> due process, yes, um, needed to be re-examined, and all of those cases were based on substantive due process. So, mm. I, I think that they kind of just backtracked because of the, all of the you know noise that came yeah. out after the draft opinion was leaked. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that actually quite a few of them might actually privately agree with Clarence Thomas. But Clarence Thomas doesn't care. <laughs> He's just like whatever. I'm gonna say what I think. Yeah, I, I, I felt like it was a shot at the cultural wars. A I mean, direct mm-hmm. shot. And saying, look, 
you guys are you guys are going too far and we we can revisit these things and, and maybe we'll revisit it and we'll rescind them and then maybe congress will have to pass it through but mm-hmm. either ways right i think it comes down to power and and i think the most importantly we need to get at least me i plan on getting that guy out of office like forget the culture was on the economic front alone is already a disaster my you do, I don't know if you know how much we're gas. paying for gas in this country, Lady V. We're suffering. Inflation, yeah. grocery, prices of everything is going up. I, I, on that alone, on the economic front alone, I'm ready to get rid of him. But on the cultural front, we have to take power from these people, from these liberal elites. Correct. They, correct. Have, they, they have to be stripped of correct. all their power. Our media houses, CNN... Like uh, and I, and I've, have you know the CNN has they've started sort of cleaning house no, too. No, no, because they know. No, no. The main reason actually is in the case of CNN, there is actually kind of like a change in ownership taking place at CNN right now. Mm-hmm. So the new owners of CNN have like kind of sent a message that you guys at least share some finesse in how you do things. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and um cool down. And and plus, the, you know, they, they also their ratings are are crap. So they they know that the mm-hmm. the market is responding to them too. Which is a good I mean, thing. No, no, Corey, Corey, Nobody everything, Corey, Corey, everything Corey has just been saying. I've been smiling and and um laughing. The main reason I've been smiling and laughing when Corey said the whole thing about using power and things like that is there is a current crop of anti woke people who are openly saying it that it is time to use state power. Yes. Now here is the main the main thing in how many of these ideas spread let's even like you know to just like just take a look at the whole you know trans issue for example here is the thing just a new like government coming in in washington dc and just signing a memo and and reversing the stuff biden put through no no no, no, that, that throughout all the agencies there will be, you know, trans compliance. People will be able to select whatever gender they identify with. Reverse. All I don't that. think people understand the power which the U.S. government and its administrative agencies have, have. to mold society. Yes, they do not need mm. anyone's consent. Yeah, I don't think people mm. understand the power they have to mold executive so- orders. Society. No, no, no. Not even executive orders. It's even more insidious than this. Like, basically, the way it stands in this country is pretty much most administrative agencies are beyond the reach of Congress. Yeah, so they do have a lot of power. They can pass any laws they want to. They can do anything they want to. And here's the thing. Things they do touch on different areas. So, for example, let's take education, for example. Just a simple education memo that, like, you know, will be trans compliance, you know, help trans kids and things like that. It has a way of going around because at the end of the day, number one, there are funds which go out. You can just simply write a memo and say, you know, if you do not sign on to this new, you know, order we're giving out, the funds have been withheld. But Toby, you know, I mm. I can't believe the Biden presidency actually. Do, have you seen the statement on this trans stuff, the the tra- the gender affirming for kids? Yeah, I mean, I, like I I I I didn't think Biden was this progressive. He's always been a centrist. 
no, what no, happened? No, 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 like, I, I, I'm, no, I'm actually really shocked no, no, that he, here's he's a gone thing this with, far. No, here's the thing with Biden. I think Biden personally might kind of have, have qualms with going this far, but he kind of understands where the temple in his party is going. Uh, Lady V, are you aware of Biden administration's I mean, statement on gender-affirming procedures for children? Ah, oh, man. No, no. I'm only aware of the Title IX amendment he wanted to make. What what statement did he make about... He, he, they, he came out... I don't know, Toby, if you can find it. They've come out and they've said it, that they are in support. Not, not, so not only did they put out a statement, the press secretary came out and confirmed it, that we are in support of gender-affirming um, procedures. And care and things like that. And care for kids. They said it, and I think that was for me. That was the last straw. I'm like, um, Corey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, the, the, where you would find the statement that they made? They, but they, basically, yeah. they put out the statement. The White House, Lady V, which is why I'm telling you that, the, like, I authority. Mean, why are you guys even taking Biden seriously? The guy is now. I can't hear Lady like, V. Oh, you can't hear Lady V. Yeah. How about now? Wiggle your stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You can hear now. Yeah, yeah. I can hear now. Yeah, oh yeah, he, I mean he's he's crazy. Yeah, I mean the the rest of the the Biden maybe we can say the Biden administration, but Biden personally, I don't even know if he's really aware of what's going on around him. To be you're you're right. Maybe that's a that's also a factor. Maybe he's aged out and he's just being controlled and you know used yeah, like a dummy. Directed. I mean, no, but, but either ways, we have to, we have to yeah, we have to get someone else in that office. Man. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Like we need to get him the f out of there. Gender affirming. Now, this brings us to the next topic, which is the, what is a woman? Have you seen it, Toby? I've seen, like, clips. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. But from what I understand, Matt Walsh goes all over the world. He speaks to experts. Yeah. Just trying to all, all he does is, what's a woman? At the bottom of his questioning is, he asks them, what is a woman? Lady V, did you see all these responses? He went to Hollywood. <laughs> all of them. They, no, no. Yeah, you, no. They're all crazy no, for no. that Hollywood. No. All of have them. Every the, goddamn one of them. Have you seen the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I watched the whole thing last night. I oh. started it. I was just going to watch a cl- I was going to watch clips of it. And I ended up watching the whole thing. Lady V, what, so what were your thoughts on it? I'm curious. <laughs> Honestly, I think my... Walsh has the best poker face on the planet. I don't know how because he kept straight face. I don't, I don't know, know how he was able to stay calm while listening to some of the things that people were saying. So, like, the best moments for me, I, I, honestly, I love the way they did this. Um, rather than, you know, just going around to interview experts that kind of are gender critical and we know what they're going to say, he went to the people who are in support of this movement and just let them talk. You're just asking very simple questions and just let them talk. And I thought it was such a good, like, um, yeah, it was approach to use. And you know, the once you give them a rope, they will just hang themselves with, it, with this ideology because the whole thing uh, is it, like crumbled. There was this one particular gender studies professor guy, right? I need to play it, please. <laughs> gender studies professor, he went to this college, went to talk to gender studies professor guy, and he just asked him like some very very basic questions. Um, so check this out. This was hilarious. Oh, sorry. Characterization is allowed to be sort of messy and complicated. He, he kept but in that framing, when you split them up into these you know, they totally discrete constructs, mm-hmm. they use a lot of words, buzzwords, really technical words. Sex, we're not talking about sexuality right now. It's in the kind of 
academic universe that I travel in is that we see how deeply gendered ideas, um, cultural ideas about masculinity, um, and femininity, maleness, and femaleness, both in humans and in lots of I don't of know how animals. long he went forward. Yeah, check this out. So are gender and sex two different things, or? Well, I think that they, they both are and they aren't. I'd be, I'm comfortable saying that gender and sex are, are two different constructs, but they're deeply intertwined with each other. We're talking about gender and, and sex, and there's a lot of controversies there. If we're talking about a trans woman has all of the male physical characteristics, so would that not be a male then? Couldn't, couldn't we plainly say this person is a male? Well, I guess it's, it's like, wh why are you asking the question? I, think I, 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 I want to understand sort of why that's so important. So if someone tells Just you... Just to, uh, to sort of understand reality, you know? Well, I mean, I think when someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. So if a person says that they're a woman or they're a man, then that's them telling you their gender is. I'm, I'm not so sure why, what social... Um, interactions would have to do with with maleness or femaleness that would well, be I'm not even talking about social context I'm just I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth you know Triggered. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language. Triggered. No, no, no. Get no. to the truth. Let me actually it's say triggered. something. Why, 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 why is that uncomfortable? Because that, it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, if you, and, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. No, I, no. If I probe about what the truth is? You no. invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I I'm saying how to is, you. How is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is? And you're walking on 30 seconds more of the ice before oh, I get up. This guy crumbles. No, no, no. My truth is, well, I don't think I really have. One thing I would actually say, and I would draw a parallel here, is yeah. do not be shocked if this guy privately kind of agrees with Matt Walsh that this whole trans thing has just been taken to another level. Now, look at a very good example. Look at um, um, Katanji Brown-Jackson during her yeah, she also parent. crumbled. She couldn't answer. She was asked a very basic question. Um, can you pl please um say what a woman is? And she couldn't answer that. And I'll say why. Both of them have their don't let me use the word base, but they have people who they necessarily do not want to offend. Yes, and they do not want to get cancelled. Yes, it's from the fair. Because, for example, this guy here. Yeah. If he should begin saying stuff he's not allowed to say, yeah, he's, he's he might done. not get promotions. He might he's be shunned. Done. He's done. He'll be done. A whole gender studies professor. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yo, you know, Lady V, you know what cracked me up the most, right? Is every time so, the, video, the video is off, by the way. Oh, it's off. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, don't worry. I'll I'll put on the other video. You know what cracked right. me up the most? It was every time he would ask, "What is a woman?" and someone would say stuff like. Well, it's you know someone that identifies as a woman. And you're like, yeah, you can't what, use what something to define that. Then, like, what do you mean? What the <laughs> heck do you mean? All he did was just ask people questions, very simple questions, and you see them, you see the wheels turning their heads, especially the yeah, ones. they're panicking. You can see them panicking a little. Like, they're like, wait, should I keep talking to this guy? There was a congressman to that. The congressman was smart, though. He, like, right off the bat, mm -hmm. he knew. He was like, okay, I got to get out of here. <laughs> interview over. Interview over. Mayday. Mayday. Yeah. Oh, man. It was it was hilarious. It was... His, it was, aide, his aide was like, yeah, no, you're not going to get an answer to that question. Yeah, Sorry, you yeah, have to leave. Yeah, you have to leave. <laughs> you got to go. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's quite... Um, 
Um, so, did you have any other thoughts on on the on the documentary um, in general? Well, you, you I, haven't no, seen it though. I haven't seen it, but I've heard reviews and things like that. Like most um, viewing agencies, like Rotten Tomatoes and things like that, they simply refuse to do any reviews. Toby's hmm. audio is fading. My audio is fading. Yeah. Kind of sounds distant. Like the mic is not connected. Oh, no, no, I, I stepped away. That's why, but she didn't see yeah, me when I yeah. stepped away. Um, like I was saying, okay. many, like, reviewing, like, agencies and reviewing houses, like, Rotten Tomatoes and, and things like that, for the most part, I refuse to do any, any reviews or things like that. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, they well, yeah, that makes sense. Because but, they don't want to give it um, um, publicity, but here is the irony. At the end of the day... This documentary is probably one of the highest grossing documentaries ever in like the first. It is. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing a lot of like a lot of Nigerians on Clubhouse quoting it now. I'm so like, I, you still use Clubhouse, man? Uh, no, on on been, Rotten man. Tomatoes, the, it's gotten like ninety five percent. Oh really? Rating the audience, yeah. Oh, wow. But the critics don't want exactly. to review it. Exactly. It's the, it's the it's a critics. Critic yeah. Wow. That's that's crazy, Sha. Like, um, I mean, I don't blame the critics because if the critics should review it, and they'll get in trouble. Exactly. So one of them actually has gotten in trouble. There's a guy I think from the Rolling Stones who reviewed it, just for the bare fact that he reviewed it. Because if you read the review, it's actually quite balanced. It's not like he it was wasn't like, a good review or anything. <laughs> and he but still got even canceled. just the mere fact that he reviewed it, he was getting cancelled. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, look. Here is just mine about this whole documentary, and this speaks much like more long-term things. I feel that, like, if you look at this in terms of politics and electorally, just basic things like this are the kinds of things that will bring back a Trump or a DeSantis in the year 2024. I'm I'm rooting for DeSantis. I think think Trump is too... He's he's disruptive, which which is which was kind of like a good thing because we needed a disruptor to an extent. But yeah. he isn't methodical. Yeah, he's, he's not methodical, and he could he could be his own biggest enemy sometimes. He could be a big distraction. What did you think about the mm. January six hearings? The the big uh, expose. Okay, okay, okay. Look, look, <laughs> look. Here is what I will say. If Wait, can you, can you give people a breakdown just in case people don't understand oh, the breakdown of the January six hearings? Okay, like the whole idea really behind the January six hearings are to investigate, like, like you know, the January people who 6. were behind the January six riots, most of which have been to, arrested. Yeah, yes, and to give recommendations on how to curb, you know, yes. such kinds of extremism. So it's going to happen next time in the future. And also to list people who should be prosecuted and things like that if yeah. there are people in that regard. So now, in since the beginning of June, if I'm not wrong, yeah. they've been doing like, um, during primetime hour, mm. like like January 6th hearings and things like that. So like in this past week or so, yeah, there's been like some lady who alleges- Carly Hutchinson. Carly Hutchinson, she's called. Yes. Who alleges- Who was a White House aide uh, that worked in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and- she alleged. I don't know if you heard about this, Lady V. Yeah, I did. <laughs> she alleged that. <laughs> yo, it's funny. All my liberal friends, that's all they keep asking me about, January 6th. And every time I'm like, well, yeah, they shouldn't have rioted. They shouldn't have stormed the Capitol. Okay. 
Okay, and what, what's next? And they'll be like, oh, but what did you think about Trump? He, he made them do it. I'm like, I read this tra- transcript. No, 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 no. In the transcript, he clearly said, march peacefully. He yeah. actually used the words peacefully, peacefully no, no. Here, to the capital and make your voices heard. No, here, here is the real bomb, bombshell parts, which like the whole of town is talking about right now. It's how allegedly Trump tried to like strangle like one of the Secret Service drivers or something to turn around the limo. It's so silly. <laughs> and to head back towards towards the towards the towards the capital, like the capital. Yes. Look, here here is mine, and here is all I'll say. If there are no corroborating witnesses who will be like, yes, that happened. And already it's alleged that some of the Secret Service people have come out to say that. Um, it didn't happen. That never really happened. Yeah, but then they'll argue that. Well, they didn't say it under oath, like Carly Hutchinson. That's what, that's what they I come mean, back with. I mean, look, look, look. Here is mine about this whole J6 thing in general. Is for four years, we like we were told that, like, you know, the Russians... Yeah. Were the ones who stole the elections, and here is just like that's the, why I don't care. No, 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 no. Like, like here is just a very simple question I'll ask everyone: Can't everyone see that the January sixth then is like the mirror version of the whole of Russia, Russia collusion? That's why I don't story. care. So I'll be honest with you, Toby. A lot of the stuff that they said, I actually believe in those <laughs> in those areas because you know why? why? It's Trump. And Trump has always been a bombastic person. Um, I mean, no. the, the the part about the hearsay, I, I don't think. No, it's, look. Yeah, no, let me finish now. Let me let me okay. let me let me cook. Okay, I, I, it's it's hearsay, and okay. hearsay would never be accepted in the court of law. So true, you can't prosecute him on that. What they're trying to do is they're trying to find a reason to prosecute Trump or to at least prevent him from running in the next election, mm-hmm. or to at least stain him so bad that he won't run in the le- next election. Truth is, I don't care. And at the end of the day, right. The people that actually rioted, a lot of them have been locked up and are being prosecuted, and a lot of them mm-hmm. are under the jail as we speak. I'm in favor Very of that. Very true. Very true. I'm in favor of that. I don't not think, just jail. I don't Solitary think it was. I don't think it was right. The problem is that they're trying to say Trump was the one that incited that riot, and I don't think, based on our free speech laws, I don't think there's enough evidence to say that. Unless he told people to literally go and riot, and he said the word "go and riot." You, you can't pin yeah. it on him. It's never happened before in our history. So it's neither here nor there. They're trying to stain him. Here's what I don't get about this effort to stain him so bad. What they don't realize is that Trump isn't the only option. There's a DeSantis out there that we we like. I like DeSantis. I'll vote for him mm-hmm. any day of the week. So it's almost like they're, they're playing this game, but what does it matter? You're not going to prosecute him. Is it's not gonna. It's not even if they do it, they might they might try to slap charges on him. They're not gonna be successful because there's no Supreme Court that will ever listen to that kind of case and say that, and and say that, um, he incited a riot. It's just not possible. It's never happened before, and it's not to that extent. Um, all the stuff about him grabbing the steering wheel, it's just theater. It's political theater. It's sensational, but what does it matter? Like there are other people. And wait, it doesn't matter. That's like, why I don't think. That's why I don't think it's about Trump. I don't think um, they're particularly think think ta- targeting Trump. I think it's just it's just a way of directing negative sentiments towards re- Republicans and conservatives. 
Uh, I mean, um, because even even if it doesn't result in you know a conviction or anything like that, I think it's just a way of keeping top of mind that Republicans are like anti democracy. But Lady V, you know, trying to divide the country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Lady V, here is the flip side. Like everything you said is is probably true, but like here is the flip side. I think it's not a stretch to say that a huge portion of this country kind of sees the J6 hearings and the J6 prosecutions as unbalanced. So, for example, let's say, you know, people who didn't vote for Trump in the year 2020, all of a sudden, because of J6, they might be inclined to vote for him in the year 2024. Like, the crux of what I'm trying to say is, once people begin having an impression that J6 isn't like, you know, justice being blind and yeah. impartially going after people who need to be punished, mm-hmm. well, they say it rather as going after political opponents. That's dangerous, man. That's it's, dangerous territory. It's dangerous and has the potential to backfire. And I'll, I'll also say, say one very last thing. We're always hearing things like how American democracy survived by the whiskers on January 6th. Yes. In in many ways, <laughs> I think that's a very irresponsible statement, and I'll tell you why. What's been said indirectly is American democracy is extremely vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yes. That's what's been said. It doesn't project strength. It's, it's exactly. Stupid. It's silly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a self-owned. But, yeah. but, but you brought up a good point earlier, Toby. You had brought up the fact that so, because this is what a lot of my, my friends, uh, liberal friends, they always say. They're like, you know, even if it wasn't illegal, it, it is very unbecoming of a president to act the way he did, given that no court has found any evidence, which is true. No court has been able to prove that any evidence that the election was stolen. And they say that he's irresponsible for doing that. And you know what? I agree. If there's no evidence, you probably shouldn't say it. True. But you know what? It's not illegal. And you know what? No, let me finish. Yeah. You know what? The other party did the exact same thing four years ago. And exactly. no one said a damn thing. Exactly. For four years, they kept telling us about Putin, um, stole the election. We had a whole investigation, the Mueller investigation. It came up with nothing. Nothing. And they yeah. did it for four years. And so what I don't understand is how people do not see now, this is just the this is the exact same thing happening the other way around at this point. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Trump Trump is gonna say the election was stolen. He has nothing to lose at this point by keep repeating this. He has he really has nothing to lose. So what I don't get is that how people don't see that this is the exact same thing the Democrats. I'm not saying that either one is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Legally, it doesn't make any difference. Anyone can say anything, anyone can make any claim. It's a matter of whether you can galvanize enough people to to be convinced of you. And it doesn't, because you make that claim, it doesn't mean that you're telling people to go and riot. And I think that's where Mm -hmm. I, you know, because once you start saying that, then then you're you're coming up with a justification for impeding on people's freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And that's where I I take take issue with. But what I don't understand is how come people not see this? It's blatant. It's right in front of us. It's the same thing. I mean, I think people have their, um, what they call it, their biases. And also, yeah, blind like, spots. exactly. And also, I think, like, in a sense, 
with the Russia gets then January 6th, in a way, we're kind of going down a path in this country which an adult has to pull back from. Now, one sentiment I always hear online are people who always say that, you know, Biden should um should fire Mary Garland because um because Mary Garland isn't prosecuting people. Mm-hmm. I think in a sense, the centrist in Biden kind of understands that allow the whole January six show to go on, mm-hmm. but do not go down the line of prosecuting of prosecuting your opponents or creating anything that will give the impression that like people are being prosecuted for um political yeah. reasons because look he, here like here is something I will give Biden props for as much as Obama once said Biden knows how to f things up and and can be bumbling at times Biden actually has some very very good instincts when it comes down to some things where Biden just looks and say, uh, that isn't something to go down, down towards. And, and, and I think, mm, it, I think I don't, that's in what a I way, thought before, but not after this, no. not after that declaration for about the whole gender affirming thing from, uh, after that, no, no, cause no. I, I thought that, so I'm like, I, I'm not really losing anything from Biden. <laughs> But it after that, <laughs> after that statement no, no. from the Biden administration, no, 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 gender Corey, affirming for Corey, kids, Corey, Corey, gender affirming care for Corey, kids. Correct, correct. I think, I think in the case of going after Trump, going after his associates, they're only going after low-level people. Biden kind of understands that if he goes down that road, that is something this country might never return from. Give him time. From. You don't. He's, he's still in office for two more years. Give him time. You never know. Look, no, Toby, and, I, w- I would no, not put no, anything actually, past Biden no, 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 at this point. No, no, no. Actually, one thing I would actually tell people, which people should take a huge pause at and think about, is if the Republicans take over um, Congress this coming um, November, yeah, I can promise you they are going to play the whole J6 playbook. And who are they going to go after? Big tech, election issues, and issues where they feel that Republicans and conservatives have been, you know, cheated out of. Like, there is a lady online. She's like a policy person in Washington. Her name is Rachel Bovard. Mm. She has laid out mm. how to have a like, like um, a super committee mm. modeled on the J six committee, but rather it's to go after things after like big, Democrats. big tech. So. All I'll say is, but that's long no, overdue. No, in no, my, in my no, opinion, no, big tech no. is long overdue. To here is something. Congress. Here is something to realize: J Six Committee is the most powerful committee in the history of this country. And what Rachel has basically said is, okay, let's play tat for tat, and we're gonna simply a use more, a more powerful one. Exactly. And and what has she suggested in the case of um big tech? She has suggested that do not bring Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey before Congress. She said that that's rubbish. Bring staff members who control content. People who, yes. who are the ones who control big tech. Yes. So all I'll tell you people is, while you people are very joyful at J6, there are people <laughs> who are openly saying that it's time to play tat for tat and have basically J6-like committees which go after enemies. That's that's all I'll say. <sighs> Well, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out, man. Um, we're kind of running out of time now, man. I don't know if there's 
Lady V, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to kind of, any last words or any any anything that we've discussed that you wanted to kind of go over again or. Uh, no, nothing else to add on this uh, this point. Yeah. I think okay, we've kind of moved away from the, the central genesis, yeah, discussion, the but, of the woke. No, but, but I feel like we 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 touched on exactly what that was about. I I, th- I think we we uh, the main elements at least I tried to extract from that video, and I think the conclusion is that it's our educators that's driving mm. this stuff. Oh right, and yeah, I did want to say when you were you were sharing your perspective on potential like solutions, I I agree. I think um, kind of pushing to take over the institutions or take the institutions back is yeah. is definitely a faster route um, than you know going grassroots. I think it's yeah. in the short term that's the probably the most effective yeah. because I, it's it's institutions that have reinforced yes. what we're seeing today. Yeah. But the grassroots is also something that we can't we can't stop doing, man. We we, we can't yeah. stop. Uh, you know, uh, I like I said, I will, I will, I don't care what it takes. I I I will never be silent. I that's something that I can't do anymore. I think I've been doing it for too long. <laughs> um, and there's something uh, about it that things that just don't make any sense to me. Making stuff on people. I'm telling you, it was it was when I. When I started seeing some like family members of mine repeating some of these things, that's when I realized that oh shoot, like I I can't you can't stay silent, you just can't, mm-hmm. and you know it came to a point where I just I made I made my intentions known, and I you know I told my family members like you know some people that are very close to me that this is how I feel, and I, I'm like in my mind you know it was scary at first, but in my mind I'm like what's what's that will happen? What you cancel me? If anything, you just make me feel, you make me, you confirm what I'm already thinking about you. I don't give a shit. Mm. And that's what I did. And guess what? Not a single person has canceled me. Everyone still loves me the same way. At least from what I can see. From what I can see, everyone still loves me the same way. And I, and people just need to get over that fear, man. People are scared. People are scared to be ostracized from their communities. You need to get over that fear. Tell the truth. Say exactly how you feel. Um, yeah. Even, even that, even I, I understand that we, you know, we shouldn't get political at work. But here's one thing I do: if someone gets political with me at work, you I give that, I give it right back to no, them. No, but like, let me ask you, um, ask you a question, Corey. In terms of being politi- political at work and things, and like when I say political, I don't necessarily mean party policies. Yeah, I'm talking about like cu- including cultural yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, to to what degree do your workmates, for example, know about this podcast? Some of the things you think. I mean. They they know. I mean, they don't they don't follow the podcast. Um, but I, you know, when I started at this particular position, I mean, I, I let them know early on. I said, look, I have a podcast that I do on weekends, and I said it's a music podcast. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know about the, my other views, but if they did, you know, I I make sure that I, I I'm not because I know how they can frame certain things as. And that was why with the black issue, that was the one thing I, I said that I'm not going to let anyone weaponize blackness against me because if there's anything that I am, it is I'm black. So you cannot, you you cannot come out out black me. Be. Yeah, you cannot come out out black me and tell me how to how to be black. You, I don't care who you are. So that was, those are, that was like the first thing that I knew that I, I, I always talked about on my podcast. I talked about black issues and I talked about, you know, I talked about some of these police shootings some some of these very controversial, you know, where I kind of push back against some of these narratives about uh, police brutality. 
yes, it's a problem, but it's is it the, the a problem to the extent as we, at which the media is saying is a problem? I don't think so. And I, I, I don't, there's really nothing you can do about that. Where I'm a little bit kind of dicey, and I'm very careful, and Lady V, you know about mm. it's the trans stuff. I'm the alphabets, LMNOP. In fact, I'd be putting, yeah. in our last episode, I didn't even put the LGBT, I put LMNOP. On, uh. on 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 the topic just because I I didn't and in oh, the way I put it I put U- because of YouTube or? no just yeah YouTube um because it's very very and and it's if you put LGBTQ if you put the whole thing there then potentially more eyes on it but I'm very careful on that I'm actually that's the one I'm still I can't fully go in however mm. I can talk about policy which is why I can talk about the Biden administration and the gender-affirming care for kids. That one, I don't care where I am. When it comes to kids, I don't care what it is. I, I do not agree with that. I find that to be very, very hurtful to kids. And I can yeah. that's something that you can never see me be in favor of. I don't care what it is. So, yeah, that I think that's that's about as far as I will go. Um, I'm also, you know, the feminist stuff, previous episodes years ago i've i we went over all the different waves first second third like this was long before this feminism thing was a this radical feminism thing was a, i talked about it like i've i've covered a lot of these things that's why some of these things i don't i don't bother touching them again because it's like you know it, it's, it's like low-hanging fruit for me at this point but what i do want to talk about is the emerging things that are coming up and right now it's the gender affirming care I, that's that's the most alarming to me for kids. I I find it to be very troubling. I find it to be to be possibly very very disruptive to society, and the backlash that will come when people realize how much of a scam this whole thing the is. The backlash of all backlash. Ah, hey hey, can you imagine? And some of these some of these um, parents, you know, they they truly think that they're helping their kids. They don't know. I mean, look. One thing, like, like one Man. thing, I try to tell people as much as possible, and it's both for like work things, and even for the trans thing. One thing, don't let me use the word fear, but I can see coming. If this thing isn't moderated, there will be a backlash of backlashes. Like it can't be said no. enough. When, like when you involve kids in no, matters, no, man. No, 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 no. Anything, like, no, no, nothing like, is off the table no, at no, that point. No, no, no. Like it can't be said enough. Many people who push many of these things mistaken their social circles for the average person in this country. That is a huge mistake. I can't emphasize enough that they are making. The average person isn't necessarily okay. Like here's how I view things. Let's look at the let's look at the the trans thing for example. I feel that like basically the general American sentiment more or less is. Let's say someone is age of majority. So what does that mean? 18, 18. and upwards. Live and let live, man. Do you? Americans mm. are live and let live. And for Liberal. the most part... And I, I'm the same way. Do not care. But do you? once it begins touching kids... Ah, no. That, no, no. And that's rap. the mistake no. they made. That's rap. what's actually getting a lot Kidding of people me. to wake up. Do you know, mm. do you know how, much, how much subscription Daily Wire has garnered in the last several months by pushing, like, by pretty much vocalizing this stuff... Um, about all this, you know, trans stuff going on with kids. Millions, probably. 
the, the Daily Wire is becoming the that new company, empire. No, no, that company is becoming the new probably, empire. <laughs> probably in the next two to three years is going to become at least a billion dollar company. The, the, right the, now. Uh, did you see that? They signed JP. Yes. They signed yes. JP. Um, they, that was signed, just incredible they, news, honestly. They have movies uh, now. Uh-huh. They're about to start making kids movies. They're going like they're about to full media company, full media, yeah, full, full media, mm-hmm. full media, and people are recognizing, and people are, and they've they've managed to. I'll give them credit. They managed to, you know, red pill a good a good majority of a good size of the, the internet. Actually, Corey, you, you um just talking about this whole Daily Wire thing, and coming back to what you said about taking over the institutions and yeah, things man. like that. That's why I respect no, Ben Shapiro no, no. and those guys so One much. One thing I've come to believe in is there's a time that I might have said take over the institutions. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done, but in a way, I don't think it's even a, the strongest route possible. You can build your institutions. Build institutions. Yeah, but you know, there, there's some institutions that you can't build, like governmental yeah. institutions. You, that's you something can't. that you have to take over. <laughs> you exactly. Have, you yeah. can't. Um, but yeah, man, I'm... I'm 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 start I'm you know I'm you know we talked about this weeks ago. There's a there's a sea of change coming. There's a sea of change coming, and I think the first sign of that that we'll see is probably the uh, midterm elections coming up this year. Um, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how much. Now I don't know if the R the Roe v Wade decision may blunt that a it, little bit. It it won't, as far as I'm concerned. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if because the, you know there are a lot of people. I'm no I'm no super no, choice. no 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 no. Let me say say why very 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 briefly. Let's say this was the year two thousand and fourteen or two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, I might have said that. Oh yes, this was this will have an impact. Mm-hmm. But right now, people are having five dollars plus um, yeah. um gallon of gas, sure, sure, and true. people go to the store and man, they're like, Lady "What groceries did I buy?" Come and send us five dollars, man. And we're we're, no. we're broke over here, yo. And here is here is the here and is the, the reality. And food uh, food uh, baby food shortage as yeah. well. Yeah, supply chains. Oh. So I mean, <laughs> by the time people the weigh all them. those things, people people would be like, "Look, I'm always you know spending you know sixty bucks to fill my my car every week." You know, yeah, it's impacting all of us, man. So it's impacting all of us, but I feel like we've 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 beat this. Uh, we can keep going for 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 some time, but I I gotta I gotta run very soon. Um, Lady V, uh, thanks thanks again for thank you, Lady V, for giving us uh, a good amount of your time, and I I appreciate thank it. You. Um, uh, Toby, any last words? Keep it brief. Um, nothing really. Um, all I'll just say is um, just to quickly expand on the whole Roe v. Wade then is. Personally, yes, you know, Democrats will use the whole thing to galvanize their base. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that, like, with the extraordinary set of circumstances in this country right now, yeah. with gas, grocery prices, inflation, supply chains, and things like that, I kind of feel like even for a sizable chunk of pro-choice people, when it's time to prioritize what they really care about the most in November, many will just look and say, look, I'm tired of paying, you know, 5 Gas. For gas, I want my two dollars fifty or two dollars thirty cents gas back. People is always the economy stupid. Yeah, yeah. People always put mm. their their pocketbooks. Uh, but with that said, man, uh, thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, um, follow, um, leave a comment. Um, you know, we're on Facebook, Smiling Software. We are on Twitter at Smiling Pod. 
and we're on Instagram, smiling underscore suffer. But most importantly, we are on YouTube. You can see us on video. Please make sure to subscribe. Hit that button, that, you know, ding, that bell in the corner over there. Subscribe to our channel. Um, with that said, I appreciate you, Toby, for coming through. I appreciate thank you. you thank Lady you. V. Um, we we got to gotta reconvene again. Uh, and, and because there were a bunch of topics that we didn't even want to touch on that we weren't even able to touch on. Um, but thank you all. Um, and this is um, first time in America by Naira Mali. I'm about First to play. In America. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was fitting. <laughs> I thought it was fitting. Fitting. Um, but all right. Thank, thanks, y'all. Take care, Lady V.